Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody. I will never grow tired of that introduction. I love it. <laughs> so welcome to the Safety Dock. It is a brisk 63 degrees down here in the North Star Recording Studio, and I am glad that you are here tonight um, for our Monday show. So we have the show Monday at 8.15 Central Time, and then also Face Validity Fridays. Yeah, Face Validity Fridays. Um, nine o'clock a.m. Central Time, where we go through some headlines and say, Hey, like, what is making sense here and what is not? Welcome to Texas Bullet, welcome to Andrew and um, Solitude Surfer. And here we go, yeah, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the, the Joker in uh, what Batman Returns. And here we go. Um, so hey, Robert, um, welcome to Robert, who, um, 020 oil, so. I do have an engine which benefits from synthetic 020, but uh, Robert, thank you for being over here. So I appreciate that. So Flying Rich, hey, buddy. Yeah, throw another line. I did. I um, So I eat my house with wood, so I just I had to make sure that the house is going to stay warm here for the next uh, three hours or so. Not that this show will necessarily go that long, but yeah, um, I still have, I, I'm, I'm pretty well paced but I had 14 cords of firewood ready for this this year. So yeah, the house is is warm. Where the um where the the fireplace is, and then everything kind of you know circulates throughout the house, but the cats uh, will always hang out <laughs> in there. It's so funny because they just turn upside down and they're just like soaking up the the heat. And it's kind of the life of a cat, I guess. So um yeah. So yeah, thanks uh, flying rich, uh, cool intro. So I did that myself. Um and the the voiceover though that is not me that is retro voice uh he's on fiverr and retro voice did the intro and outro also has uh did the commercial um for school of airs and is doing the commercial for the velocity of information um first of all his voice is is phenomenal right like um it, it just kind of stops in your tracks and he's been on fiverr for a long time um but his his in working with him his his work is absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah. So hey, Jim is telling me I talk too much. Oh no, sorry about that. So I'm trying to. It's, I, I guess <laughs> yeah, maybe on this show because I'm the only one on here. Um, I have to keep it going. So, um, but yeah. So all right. Well, yeah. Hey, hey, Rich. Uh, love the firewood. Love the fire. Would heat it. So yeah, yeah. So. Well, Flying Rich, yeah, he is over. Here's here's the, uh, I'm just going to put this out there because I've worked with him over the years on the intro, the outro, and commercials and some other things, retro voice over on Fiverr. So it does a great job. So a few things today. Um, I have a lineup for this show, and we are going to be, um, the title of this episode is Why Words Matter, the Lexicon of Crisis Communication lost lives and crashes. Um, as a retired school administrator, um, there were times when I needed to uh, deliver uh, very bad news to um, staff, students, and parents. 
and also working in crisis communications, having a background as a speech language pathologist, also in studying linguistics and the impact of messaging, um, verbal messaging, for example. We're gonna talk about that today because it is um, somewhat of an art and somewhat of um, a skill set that you, you need to be coached on this. It's rare that someone is going to be an effective communicator during a crisis situation um, just on their own organically. So I'm gonna give you uh, some of the tips that I learned, right? And, and some of the things that I share. And this is important because you know you can be in a situation where you are the one who is um, introducing bad news to your family or your friends. Um, or also if you are in a situation when bad news is being communicated, that you will kind of understand, I guess, what is what is conveyed in the message and, and what might be um, guarded or protected or like what is good messaging and what isn't. Um, so yeah, we will we will go through that. So yeah, I, I definitely, definitely appreciate that. So good. All right. Well, um, yeah. So thanks again, uh, Robert Flying Rich. Um, and so I'm at 741 subscribers here for the, the Safety Doc podcast. But let me go over here because I want to give uh, Flying Rich the, uh, the moderator. So um, and also um, Robert, I want to give you a moderator. So you guys can keep things uh, clean here in the chat because ultimately this is a um, meant to be a family-friendly, scholarly show. So if you see things kind of getting out of hand, please go in there and um, do what you need to do. So, um, so yeah, a couple a couple things here. Um, that all right. So up on on the left, I have three monitors in front of me. So right. The recording monitor on the left are the show notes, and on the right is the monitor as things are appearing on on YouTube. So I can just track all of those things. So, yeah, flying rich. Yep, G G rated. So, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you guys, um, yeah, it's funny because when I present it on PBS, so I present it live on PBS twice, PBS TV, and that's a a very um, extensive process to go through and have things approved ahead of time, and you know, like. To, to do the rehearsals, everything has to be timed out. And I, I was at the studio, live studio audience, you know, early. So I did the entire presentation and made sure it hit the timing. Um, but they go through after you do the live presentation and then they um, close caption everything. And in addition to that, they have to put it before a rating board. So, you know, you get rated G or PG or PG-13. All of my stuff was G, but it, it, there is this very extensive process that then takes a few months before it gets re-released on PBS. So um, I didn't learn about that until I did my first PBS presentation. And then um, by the second one, yeah, I was I was old hat. Like I knew all of that stuff, right? But um, so yeah, the doc stuff is all G-rated. Even in my book, um, I both of my books, I, I think in... Um, in the velocity of information, which is coming out, I think there's one time, one swear word I use, which is a quote <laughs> from somebody. And that's out of, of 70,000 words. And then in uh, School of Airs, there were there were none. So yeah, very, very family friendly compared to just what we hear on the news <laughs> or in the background on the news. So hey, it is sass too many. Um, good evening, gang. So one week from now, um, one week from now, uh, sass too many will be on the show. So I will get that um, up soon. 
I already have the kind of the show header built for it, but SAS Too Many is going to be on the show talking about life after um, traumatic brain injury. And then also um, ex examining the media for accuracy and kind of an epiphany moment that that SAS had in his life, SAS One Too Many on that. So we've been working and putting the show together. It'll be a great one. One week from today, uh, SAS One Too Many on the Safety Doc Podcast. So uh, flying rich notes. <laughs> so yeah, actually, so I have an entire blog post all ready to go for this this show that I'll, I'll make sure I get up tomorrow. Um, and my uh, my new cell phone arrived uh, today. So I will, I have an appointment for tomorrow to have the, uh, current phone migrate it to the new phone. And, and then, uh, they'll put the screen protector and stuff on all stuff. Maybe I could do, but it's just like right in town here. Um, but yeah, my, my phone was starting to, <laughs> the battery was just starting to, to go bad on it. And you know, it's, it's, I've had it for quite a while stuff like that. So it's time to, to do that. Uh, my daughter benefited from that because uh, she we upgraded her phone uh, to her phone. Um, we got a couple of years ago for her, and and she would say, "Hey, like, can I get something newer and things like that?" So she's earned it. She is a terrific uh, student and great kid. So um, a few things: velocity of information. So my book coming out April fifteenth is um, on pace, right, to come out April fifteenth. We. Settled on, not settled, but we, we picked a cover for it um, in the past week. So that I can't show it yet because it's copyrighted, <laughs> right? They have to buy the image from from Getty is who has the image. Uh, so, um, but they're in the process of doing that. So they they narrowed it down to five covers. And and then um, this, this one stood out to me. And then different, 22 people actually weighed in on the, the covers and stuff like that. And they put it down into small size and say like, if you're scanning through with this catcher eye and like, so anyway, I love it. It's a great cover. Um, and it, it will be worked into the commercial then that retro voice is making for me. So all good things. And now I have this artwork <laughs> up on my right hand side. I have this like a poster size, but it's, it's, um, printed on this kind of hard foam board. You can get them at Walmart for like 50, 60 bucks, these custom imprints in my current my first book right here, School of Airs, is over there, like in a almost like a three by five type thing. It's really cool. And then right next to it will be the last of information. So, by the way, School of Airs, the most honest book about the three billion dollar school safety industry. Uh, this is still available for Christmas. If you have a, uh, you're interested in how people are spending their money on school safety or parents, right? How the whole school safety process works. It's not as as refined as what you think it is. But if you know the right questions to ask and what to observe, um, you can contribute to your school being a safer environment. So yeah, School of Airs, the book that took on the, the $3 billion industry and won because this actually became da -da -da, a PBS special in 2019. Um, so it's really cool. Um, I was on John Crump Live today. So yeah, check out John Crump Live. Um, and, and he did an awesome... Um, he did an awesome show art. Like he had the still image of me and I'm like, that is, that is really cool. So I need to ask him if he can just send me that image because um, I, I only have images really like where I'm facing the camera or like the professional, you know, headshot for the book and stuff like that. I don't really have like this, this kind of in the moment. And it was funny too, because PBS has this awesome cover, this image of when I presented it in 2019 where I'm looking off in the crowd and I have like the, the 
slide flipper in my hand. And it's just this, this incredible picture. So I asked him, can you, can you give me that? Or can I buy rights to that image from you? Which is from the, it's an image of me right at the studio in the show. And ultimately they said no. <laughs> so, but get this. They said, um, they said, we can, we can bring you back and we can recreate the shot. And I'm like, well, the, the thing is, though, I'm older. Like, I don't look like I did exact, you know, that photo. And like, I have to come to the studio, which I appreciate. Like they, but, um, but I was just hoping they would say, yeah, like, here's, here's the image. Um, because I, I wanted to use that. But uh, I do have a couple images that like people in the audience took and, and things, but that was just like the perfect image. Um, it just conveys like this, this kind of sense of authority. Uh, I think like uh, Laura Sullivan on NPR, like has something like that is like her thumbnail or something, this, this similar type image. So, but anyway, um, Hey, so yeah, um, I am awaiting a new, um, yeah, Andrew said, laugh although you can't use an image of yourself. Yeah, that was a little weird because I was like, hey, can't I, can't we work something out here? Um, and then also I was thinking, well, can I, can I buy this image? Like, you know, is, is, or is there something here we can do? So, um, but, but no, and they're great. They were absolutely great to work with throughout the whole thing. But yeah, and, and then, um, so, uh, so going over in the chat, uh, um, Flying Rich uh, wrote three billion is a crazy amount of money, but chump change in the Biden budget. Yeah, three billion in school safety seems like a lot, and it is a lot. Although you know, when you look at the money that schools were getting for uh, pandemic relief stuff, and and in my area, one school spent all that money, um, a few million <laughs> of their cut on a new artificial turf football field for pandemic relief. But um, but yeah, it is so much of that goes over toward toward these fortification and things and. It's all, you know, it, the, the book, uh, School of Airs. Um, so uh, Rich is, is saying, I, I swore um, I would not do another $1,000 phone, but did it for the whole family again. Yeah, like all of our phones we had had for like three years, they were all off of the amortized payment thing. But, um, you know, now with the family and, and, and especially my younger daughter doing more kind of uh, traveling and stuff like that. We wanted to make sure that we had upgrade. Plus like our phone is our camera. Like we don't have a digital camera or a 35 millimeter or anything like nothing. So really, you know, we're also just always investing now. That's the investment in the camera for everything that we do. Um, uh, Robert wrote, yeah, it can be expensive phone plans and five phones here. Whoa. I swore also. So yeah. Um, yeah, and they're and they're trying to like convince me. Well, I'm not going to do it, but they're like, "Hey, like you could repurpose like this one phone, and then you could have this fourth phone line." I'm like, I have no need for that. Like, I'm all good. Like, it only costs five dollars. I get it. I get it. But like, I have no need for this extra phone right now. So we are all good. Um, so yeah, PBS, we can get that for you. So all right, we need to. We can do like this this uh, this email campaign to PBS. But so I mean, they're really great, right? They're really awesome. So, hey, let me check here. We got a message live out of the studio. Um, and it is. So, all right. I have to, to check that. It's, I'm not real-time tech, all of that. Uh, all great on that. So, but anyway. Um, so, we can screen cap that. <laughs> so, flinger. yeah. So, I think, I, I mean, I could get the image, but then it's the whole copyright thing and. Yeah, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's funny. Um, even like with my book. So 
the publisher buys the image as they did for School of Airs from Getty, right? They buy the license. And then in my contract, they allow me free use to use the image as long as like the title work and stuff like that is on it. The two can't be separate. They never give me like the image separate from the title on it. And, um, but technically, like, I mean, I, I would have to be able to prove, right, that I had permission to do that, which I just would have to provide from the publisher. But that's, that stuff is getting tracked more by these automated algorithms and stuff like that. So I would expect it, it would probably trip and I'd have to, like, prove. Yeah, I have rights to use it. So I am, uh, um, and, and Bacon said, all this time I thought uh, PBS stood for peanut butter sandwich. Yeah, me too. So PBS. I have, I have fascinating stories to share from my my time on PBS uh, sometime. Actually, I think I'll just like dedicate a show to like what it's like to present on PBS before a live audience because um, because I've done it twice and I and the things that they tell you and how it's like and then what it's like preparing for that like kind of that whole day and then like when it's done. You know, what you see on TV is much different than obviously what kind of happens. Um and, and one of the things too was when I present, when I, they had to, to check my presentation. So you brought it in on a thumb drive and then you went through it with them and then they locked it in a case, right? So like you couldn't alter it um, in the hour before your presentation. So they approved it and then like that, that was live. Like you uh, so, you know, some interesting things that, and then I can watch PBS to this day and point things out like that person wasn't supposed to like, you know, go up and point toward the screen or something like that. You're never supposed to look over your left shoulder. Like, you know, they tell you all these things cause then it messes up the way that the camera angles are. <laughs> they have to like try to edit that out. So I learned, I, I always followed the rules on PBS. Like it was a, it was a damn good, um, a damn good guest and well-researched and I had my timing down and it was good. Do you get your hair and makeup? I'd want the the set feel. So did you get your, this is all pro lemon time. Did you get your hair and makeup done? Um, I just did, I did that on my own, right? Like I'm a guy. So I, you know, I'm not doing any um, flashy uh, makeup stuff, but I did, yeah, I get my uh, hair. Um, well, I mean, I, I really, I don't know. I mean, I, I got a haircut, like a, I timed it a week before. So it grew out a little bit and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, actually it was funny because I, I just, I wore a sport coat that I bought off of eBay for both my shows, the same sport coat, like for 20 bucks and Oscar De La Renta. And there's a three button. So when you wear that, it's, it sends this message that you are really in control. Right. And it's so funny because like, um, cause most, most sport coats are two buttons. So when you wear a three, like it really stands out. So it, it was just, it's funny because I think people in the audience are like, well, he's, it's kind of a fashion thing. Like it's kind of a projecting authority here. I'm like, not nah, 20 bucks off of eBay, Febreze it instead of dry cleaned it. And we're all set to go. So yeah, all pro limited. So I've been on, um, you know, like newscast, right? So brought in after different you know, school safety things. And it's funny because like the, the reporters always like are, are diving off off of screen before and they're always doing their makeup like before they go live i'm just sitting there like <laughs> no makeup for me or no nothing or whatever like i'm just and yeah they spend like a lot of time um it's right off screen like they and then they also have this like other area they go but um i just i'd get it i get a kick out of that so um yeah i've got a couple of pictures like from when i've been on some major media which is is pretty fun so um yeah 
So Flying Rich is saying, hey, you're killing me with that eBay support. Every support code I own is off of eBay. And the it's hilarious because now with people working from home, um, you know, the sport codes are up, up for sale like crazy because, you know, nobody wants these. And, I, and I'm pretty, if I get an Oscar De La Renta 44 regular, most of the time it's a spot on fit unless somebody's altered it, right? But for like 20 bucks, you know, I can I can take the gamble and get like five of them and maybe like four will be be fine. So, um, and it's, there's actually, you can buy like um, the, the tuxedo coats for like less than that, like 10 or $15. And I'm thinking, wouldn't that be something to, to do? But, um, but yeah, the sport coat stuff. And I always wear a sport coat when I teach at the university, always, no matter what the weather, you know, even if it's, you know, like more of an informal class or session or whatever, I always do that because I, I think it does convey um, the sense of respect for the position and the institution. And I think we get away from that too much today. So, um, so I am also awaiting, um, we have a vehicle that we ordered and we've been tracking it across the, <laughs> the U S since it's, it's been released from the, the manufacturer. And, and, uh, I know where it is. It's like two, two hours from my house right now. And the dealership is like, we don't, we not sure. We're not sure where it is. So, so I was able to call the manufacturer and say, like, here's the VIN number. Like, where is this vehicle? And they're like, um, okay, like, we'll find it. And in like 10 minutes, they were like, here's where it is. And here's like, what's next? Like, it should be to you soon, like five days or something. And, uh, but it's, it's, so I called the dealership and I'm like, here's where the vehicle is. And they're like, how'd you know that? I'm like, I talked to one of my friends in the FBI and they, they just ran a ping on it. And they're like, What? And which isn't true. Like I just made that up. Right. Um, I'm like, yeah, they were just, they ping the vehicle uh, through its GPS type thing. So they like knew where it was and stuff like that. And they're like, holy smokes, man. I'm like, I'm the safety doc for gosh sakes. You'd expect that. Wouldn't you? So, um, so let me hit the uh, chat here and then let's get into the meat of today's show. Thanks for, uh, thanks everybody. Who's a moderator here for keeping things clean. I appreciate that. So, um, L pro limited by golly, you've earned that right. So let's add you. So you are now a moderator, buddy. Um, so Rich says, I haven't worn my tux in 15 years. So you and John, you could do an episode, the tux episode. So <laughs> a tuxedo. Yeah. I haven't worn one a long, long time. So, uh, sport coats are a really cool look though with, with, uh, jeans, you know, and the fact that now you can pull it off really cheap. Like if something happens to the sport coat, it's like, well, not a big deal. Um, and people notice, right? Suits were so cheap in 2020. I have a life supply now. All pro limiton. Yeah. Um, Flying Rich, you should break it out for the cry. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, my local dealership is so useless. I like, yeah, I like my local dealership, but I don't know how, like, they can be so uninformed on where this vehicle is. Because when I ordered it, they said, oh, you'll be able, we'll send you, um, a portal and you'll be able to log in and, and you can see every step of the way you'll see it being made. You'll see it like being shipped. You'll, I mean, and none of that happened like, and which is okay. Cause I don't really need to see like the vehicle being made, but, um, but I'm like, where is it? <laughs> Cause I, you know, it's, it was supposed to be delivered. It's late. I'm trying to kind of have a contingency on a vehicle, which I've, sort of sold, right? But I'm not going to release this other vehicle that we've have until like this one is in my in my driveway or garage. 
And they're like, yeah, it's in transit. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how do you not know where it is? So then when I pull out, like, yeah, you know, my connections with the FBI, like, here's exactly where it is. Like, as of then, they're like, holy smokes. It's like, get it up to your dealership now. Uh, the Mallory report already getting tracked and you don't have the car. Haha. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's, it was kind of amazing too, because I didn't have to really sell um, the argument too much, like of saying, Hey, like I, you know, I'm the owner of this vehicle, but I haven't taken delivery yet. I mean, I just had to give basically the VIN number and say, <laughs> where's this vehicle? You know, which kind of made, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, if somebody asked me that, I'd be wondering if they were planning on going to that location to like try to pick up their vehicle or, you know, intercept it, like, you know, you're halfway down or something like that. I'm just, I just need to know when this thing's going to get here. Right. Like just what is the destination date? Um, you know, it's, it's so crazy. Like I said, it's, it's literally, it's two hours away. So we'll see how long it, it sits there. Everyone comes to my oil, my oil shop instead of dealership, <laughs> Robert. So I won't publicly trash him, but I actually went to another County to buy the same brand because my local dealer's not so good. So yeah, sorry about that, Rich. Like my my local dealer is terrific, and uh, bought a, another vehicle from my local dealer a couple of years ago. Serviced uh, everything through the local dealer, and it's like the same guys since I started. So it's not turnover either. Like this is the same crew. Um, so you know, building up that experience and having that positive experience and stuff like that. So it's good. Um, and hopefully it can maintains, right? Because who knows, you know, if something gets sold or something like that. It just goes to hell. But, um, so when I was writing, um, school of airs, the, uh, rethinking school safety America, I, I talked to parents who had their children, uh, killed, uh, their, or their children were killed in, um, uh, school violence. Right. So, and what, when I was writing the book, I specifically contacted some of these parents and said, you know, I'm writing a book about school safety and I'm kind of, I'm taking on the industry, right. About vendors and, and, um, kind of how this, this narrative is all upside down and a lot of money is being just thrown out the window. Um, but I also, I do not want to write something that, um, offends or, you know, um, somehow, um, is, is tone deaf to, uh, parents who've had children killed in various school safety situations. So I specifically asked, I, I gave chapters of the book, you know, two parents to read and they said, no, you know, you're, you're on, I'm not feeling that this is offensive, that this is overstepping a line. And I said, cause it, I, I need this book to be punchy and powerful, but I am not, um, at, at all intending for this to, to be dismissive or anything of that nature. So that was, um, you know, that was a, this member check. I didn't want to encroach right on the dignity of those killed in acts of violence upon the survivors and, and, and family. Um, but when I, when I had these discussions, right, with, with parents, one thing they, they said to me was, um, when people tell us, we're sorry for your loss, we're sorry um, that you lost your child, they said that is is like a dagger right when they hear that because they're like we didn't lose our child like our child was was murdered our child was killed um or uh you know our our child's life was you know taken from us in this um bus accident right so you know i'll get into that but they said that was that's always was something 
that would would just sting, right? When people say, you know, I'm sorry that your child lost their life. And I changed the way that I, you know, referred to um, student deaths, right? If if I, I didn't say loss of life, loss of, loss of life in general is, is kind of a weird way to phrase things when you think about it. But that was one thing across parents that they conveyed to me is just, just please um, in your book and your work, like help people understand to not say this to us. So, um, so yeah. So what I'm going to get into right now is, and this will be out in a blog post at safety PhD tomorrow. It's already written. Um, so those of you who know, um, those of you who don't, um, this show releases in video. Here on YouTube, it releases an audio which is leveled on SoundCloud. Not SoundCloud. Sorry, folks. I used to have a show on SoundCloud, and then I thought SoundCloud was going bankrupt, so I moved everything to Podbean. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, um, the show is it's Safety PhD. You can find the audio, and you can download the show. So if you download it and listen to it, it's leveled. So if anything you hear is like hot mic or, or soft mic or something, everything comes out leveled. So if you're like, doing a long drive or, you know, walk or hike or something like that, you're going to listen to leveled audio. And then um, every, I have a blog post that's about seven, 800 words. Uh, so if you go back, it'll have some of the links in it or some of the main points that we talked about. So this is episode 160. So thank you so much for supporting uh, the, the show, 741 um, subscribers, which is up 240 this month. So I, I really, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, it looks like I'm going to get to that thousand subscribers and now it's just a matter of getting hours, right. <laughs> to, to monetize. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think I'm at 1500 viewed hours, so I need to get up to 4,000 viewed hours. So if you guys can help me with that, I appreciate it. So, um, so yeah, bacon road dude, where's my car? So, yeah, but so the dealership totally though thinks they already think this ahead of time, right? They, they already think like I'm close, like with, uh, all these, all these multi-jurisdictional agencies and stuff like that because of school of airs and, and, you know, I'm kind of a nebulous character, right? Because they don't really know what I do, but they know I retired early and they're not really, they don't really know when I come in there, what I do. They, they're just like, Oh, like work on another book or like we saw you on PBS or something like, yeah, multi-jurisdictional task force here. So I'm like, I know exactly where that vehicle is. Um, but yeah. So, um, here's, here's one of the things and bacon. Thanks for sharing my, uh, my website. So, um, the first thing is that I have bad news to share. If you are the bearer of bad news, okay, um, it is very important to not do a big windup into this. You're not what Dennis Eckersley of the Oakland A's, you know, like doing a 45 second windup on the mound before you throw the pitch, which you're, when you're delivering bad news, you're throwing the pitch right at the person. So you're, you're going to beat them with this bad news. Like, it's just the way that it is. So this is called the Chris Voss method. And let me put that down here. Chris Voss is um, a retired FBI negotiator. So negotiator. I can't see the keyboard. <laughs> I don't type that well. So um, you can find his stuff on, on YouTube. One of uh, his popular books, Never Split the Difference. So... Um, but yeah, the Chris Voss method. So um, you you're not doing your audience any any favor by trying to ease them into horrific news. So if people already know that they're going to be receiving bad news, 
um, you know, it's it's a, a bus accident or, you know, it could be a, a active shooter event, um, a fire, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, you don't want to give this long pitch. So here's what you do. Instead, you begin with this. You begin with saying, I have bad news to share. Those are the first words that you say, I have bad news to share. And then you pause. Then you're setting people up. You're getting them in the frame of mind that, okay, the next sentence is going to be really, really bad, right? Like I'm, I'm braced for it. I have bad news to share. And, you know, this could be, you know, if we lose a loved one in our families, if somebody, uh, yeah, has some sentinel life event that's gone on, some, you know, losing of a job or a house or, you know, usually, you know, it's a personal illness or whatever it is, I have bad news to share. You don't want to get in with um, something like this. Okay, let's say you come up to the podium and you're to deliver news or you're with your, you know, you, you get your family together and you say, you know, we had a fast response. Everybody worked hard. Um, we did everything that we could. There was just too much going on. People are like, okay, like I get it. Like what's going on? Like all of that is uh, superfluous. Like you don't need to tell people that and it just drags things out. So um, what you do is you just start out whenever you're delivering bad news in your professional or personal life, say, I have bad news to share and then pause and give it, you know, give it five seconds so people can... Okay, they know that the next the next pitch, like that was the pitch that was the the chin music that was up in you know right right by their face. The next one is going to bean them. Like this is it. This is this is the news that's going to hit them. Um, so the second sentence. So your first sentence is I have bad news to share. Your second sentence is actually what would appear on the title of a forensic paper on the event. So if someone's writing a paper about what had just happened, like they're studying it, like this would probably be the headline on that paper, like, you know, six months from now. So let's say that there's this bus accident, okay? I'm the school superintendent. I do this with my students, right? I teach superintendent legal issues and, and you know, I, I practice this with my students. So first thing, I'm a superintendent. I'm up at a podium. I'm like, I have bad news to share. Then I pause. The second Students and staff were involved in a bus accident on their way to a field trip. So that's your second point. Okay. It's, you clearly convey what had happened, um, that they were involved. It's a bus accident on their way to a field trip. The third sentence is the information known at the time. So it's what you know as you come up to that microphone. Um, and it's based, it's centered on the well-being of those involved in the instant. You're not talking about the weather conditions or you're not talking about these other, you're talking about the people. And this has to be an I statement, okay? So it has to be knowledge that you know. You are now conveying as the authority, the person in charge for this. So um, here's what this would look like. So let's do this. So let me do the first three sentences. I have bad news to share pause. Okay. Students and staff were involved in a bus accident on their way to a field trip. Okay. Here's the I statement. I have been in contact with state patrol and was informed that some occupants of the bus have been transported to hospitals. I have no information about the types of injuries or potential fatalities. 
Okay. So you've just in three sentences conveyed the message, right? Um, and then the fourth sentence in that, what you follow up with is telling people what to do. And it could be, for example, you're telling people don't drive to the scene because um, emergency assets, ambulances, uh, you know, fire and, and all of that are, are, are working to get uh, people to emergency, you know, facilities. So please don't, don't, you know, go there. And maybe like, you know, you can stay in the gym, uh, in, in the high school commons or in the auditorium. Um, and we will then be providing an update in 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Uh, for example, you know, we will learn where students and staff were taken, you know, which hospitals, which facilities. Um, so, you know, and, and then that's it. Like that is literally, um, uh, that's a 90 second to two minute presentation. That's it. You're not taking questions because you don't know anymore at this point, you know, and if you open yourself up to questions, they're just going to flow in, right? Um, you know, how many students were on the bus and, you know, can you tell us anything else? Like you've told them what you know, like, this is what I know at this point. This is the information I'm in contact and being, um, you know, updated by, for example, state, state patrol. Um, I will share more information in 30 minutes. I will come back to, you know, this podium or in 60 minutes. And also like if, you know, parents um, and family, if you stage, at the in the gymnasium or at the auditorium or something, um, we will be sharing information with you as soon as we have it on where people are, and um, how you how you can then you know um, get to those uh, facilities and and so forth. So, again, you know one of the things that I left out in this right is, and I'll get to this later. Is I'm not talking about how this affects me, right? I'm not I'm not winding this up of saying you know what is a as a school administrator for 20 years, I've had, you know, situations where I've, I've had to deliver bad news. And, and this has really pained me. This is, this has been occupying my mind here for the last 30 minutes really. Like people don't want to hear that. It's not about you. And yet, like a lot of people do this today. We'll get into that. So anyway, we got this 90 seconds. I have bad news to share. Um, students and staff were involved in a bus accident on their way to a field trip. And I, the I statement, I've been in contact with the local state or with the state patrol. They've informed me some occupants of the bus have been transported to hospitals. I have no information about the types of injuries or potential fatalities. Point four, tell people what to do. Uh, wait in the auditorium. I will be back here in, you know, 30 minutes and 45 and an hour. You're not going to have more than an hour, but with more information. Or if you're waiting in these areas and we get more information, um, such as where people have been taken, like we will um, get that information specifically to you. So boom, right there. So let's move on to the next part. Um, first, let's check over in the, Chris Fall. Hey, I wrote that. <laughs> so, all right. Address, no. All right. So um, lost their lives versus had their lives taken. So this is, this is, um, an important point to note, right? So if you say, yeah, you know, they lost their lives in a parade crash. Um, 
what? Like they lost their lives in the parade crash. Tell me, I, I don't understand this. They lost. So, um, you know, it's, it's different to, it's always better, always better to say they had their lives taken. Um, even if it's someone who drowned, right. They had their life taken, um, be, you know, due to a drowning, right. Versus like they had, they lost their lives. So, um, this is big, right? They had their lives taken. They had their lives taken. It's a resounding point of unison in parents who, of children that have been uh, killed in accidents or um, school intruders or, uh, you know, they had their lives taken or, or through, you know, a, an aggressive illness or something like that, that their life was taken by cancer. So, um, to say this child lost his life, that implies like some culpability on the part of the child, right? Or this person, this person lost their life, you know, and, and it almost puts it on par. And you, and people will say this, like when I hear that, it sounds like it's like a lost pair of socks. It's like, you know, this, I didn't have these socks come out of the dryer. Uh, so I assume at some point they'll come out, but they didn't come out this time. Um, and that's not the way it is, right? It's never that way. So to, to say like somebody lost their life is, is inaccurate and it's, uh, it's really harmful. Um, and it, it's not, it's not benefiting anybody in that situation. So, uh, I don't know what's going on around here. So <laughs> man against the masses wrote no multiple cameras angles. Tonight. No, I, I can't do multiple camera angles unless I do a pre-recorded show. Um, I think I, I, I think there's a way with the software, but, um, it's, it doesn't look very good to kind of switch in the moment. So, um, but yeah, if I do again, a pre-recorded show, I can, you know, put in as many camera angles as I want. So, um, yeah, so those are special episodes, you know, when I do those, but thank you, man, against the Mansus for being here and shelter in paradise lives taken implies that the taking was akin to theft death itself being the burglar. Hey, that's really, that's insightful. So thank you for posting that. Um, and Bacon wrote, not going to lie, I've been sad over losing socks to the dryer. So I have lost a, a number of socks to the, <laughs> to the dryer too. So um, I don't know where they end up. Um, Man Against the Masses. Uh, Doc is live not doing a, yeah, this isn't a premiere. So in a premiere, I can, I can do that. So I tried it. So premiere, I can always get down to 60, I can get it at 60 minutes. Um, so some people prefer, you know, like a shorter show. So then they get into that 60 minute time slot. Um, and then I can, I, I can do a few things. Like one is if I don't edit these shows, I, I lose those skills. Like, you know, to put in the intros and to do the fades and, and kind of, you know, cutting things out. And, um, if you don't use it, you lose it. So that's why every once in a while I need to do a premiere just so I, I don't forget my <laughs> skills. And actually I forgot when I did the last premiere, which turned out well, I forgot to put the, um, the show image like up on the, the screen initially. So I'm, so I, I got to create like a little checklist here. So it casts the blame on the cause of death, the verb taken. So shelter death or shelter, not shelter death. Oh my goodness. Shelter in paradise. Yeah. So, um, so what, what, you know, people say is, Hey, you know, we don't, uh, we don't find lost lives. Like, right. So if somebody has lost their life, it's, it's, it's not this 
you know, well, suddenly, hey, we, you know, we found them. Yeah. Um, and it also, when you say lost, or, if you're an official saying, you know, um, you know, uh, police, if you're the city mayor or whatever, uh, or news media, right? If you're saying lost their life and it was clearly that they were killed, um, you're intentionally blurring that that media, right? You're, you need to be um, explicit in that of saying they were killed. Like, you know, they were, they were killed uh, when somebody drove a vehicle um, over them and inflicted injuries or they were killed and whatever, but they were killed. Like they didn't lose their life. Um, so that's something lost their lives versus had their lives taken. So let me move to another point here. Um, the words crash, attack, and tragedy. So, and these obviously are very fresh in my mind because I live in Wisconsin and the Waukesha uh, Parade Massacre occurred um, a week ago on Sunday where uh, six people were killed uh, when um, a person drove his SUV intentionally um, through the parade and hit people, right? So crash, attack, and tragedy. So news news media throttles or measures headlines per their agendas. It's the Overton window, right? Where they can feel where they feel they can get away with a lesser, um, more measured, tempered um, language versus if they need to be. It, it depends which agenda they're trying to to go with. Um, so you know the whole the whole thing. For example, crash. So in, in Waukesha, for anybody who's not aware, which is two hours away from me. Um, I, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the, the instant in, in Waukesha where uh, somebody drove their SUV and accelerated throughout points of that and intentionally, uh, swerved and hit people throughout this parade route and killed six people and injured, I believe 40 others and several are still in the hospital. Um, that's being called a crash by contemporary media. Right. So there's most of the headlines out there are parade crash, parade crash. Well, that parade crash kind of describes like maybe somebody who had a seizure and lost control of their vehicle and, you know, inadvertently brought harm unto people in the parade. Right. That's what I would anticipate with crash. Or if there was maybe some vehicle malfunction with a vehicle in the parade and, you know, it, it ended up hitting some people. So that's what I would interpret if I was reading Crash. Like I'd say, "Oh my goodness! Like this, this was kind of a no, no fault situation, right?" But that's not what happened at all. And the thing is, like, there's video evidence um, of this. You know, hundreds of, of video takes from people at the, you know, who are in attendance, and then also the measurement of speed and the fact that the police officer, one of the police officers, was pounding on this, you know, driver's window of telling him to stop and shut down, and he kept going. Um, so this this is um, this is an attack. It's not a crash. And then the middle ground is always the word tragedy. This was a tragedy. So that's where you can you can almost put anything as a tragedy, right? But you have to be explicit, right? This was an attack. This was an intentional attack. It wasn't an SUV that attacked people either, or crashed into people. It was a person that used an SUV to intentionally crash into people. So if you're just think of if if your loved one died there or your spouse or, you know, one of your kids or people you knew who were there and they're injured, they're still in the hospital. You're like, what in the world? You know, the media is portraying this. Now, my local media, 
here in Madison, Wisconsin, what they did two days after this, and I have this recorded and I actually timed it out. What they did is they, they said, you know, they thought, well, we have to cover this, right? Um, so in two days after they did a, a feature, which was about a hundred seconds long, which was the main story based on this. And they, they had the feature of all of the law, all of the folding chairs and the water bottles and hats and things like that, that had been left at the parade site and how they were reassembled at like some gymnasium or something. And people could come in and claim these things. And then they interviewed one person and they said, well, you know, this is kind of, and they're putting words in their mouth. This is like a reunification, right? Like of kind of bringing a closure to this. And the person's like, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, what a sham. And I emailed immediately and I said, this is garbage. Like you, you know, you know, it's garbage. Like everybody, this is very intentional. Like you need to be interviewing and finding out about these, uh, not only the, the people who had their lives taken from them, but the people who are hospitalized. Like that's the story is it's not about people. Oh yeah, I need, I'm able to find my folding chair. Um, and now everything's fine. So it was a, a, and a horrible piece of coverage that was done, but it also conveys like, right. The, the media isn't going to, to take this on and appropriately, um, state what has happened. So that's where like people like us, right. <laughs> we need to get in there and hold their, hold them accountable and say, this is garbage. This is absolute. And you start to see it right now. The language is changing. The word attack and the word intentional is starting to come in, in the last like one or two days where it was this parade crash. So um, let's go over to the chat and then I, I have uh, some other stuff. So let's go over to the chat. Um, so this is from Sass Too Many, a car crash and they prayed sad beyond sad. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, so, um, so intentional, right, of media to do this. But, you know, all of, I mean, the thing is, right, we have, we have hun hundreds and thousands of people who are at this parade and who also have video evidence and then their own testimonial evidence of, of what they saw. <laughs> yeah, they saw this vehicle like slow down and then specifically like speed up and, and swerve side to side. So um, it's not that you are, your narrative, right? Your media narrative of you're trying to convince people matches the authentic narrative that people have on the, on the ground, but people need the hard truth, man against masses. I, I agree with that. Um, and I, I think it helps, um, hold people, um, accountable. And it also recognizes, you know, that the authentic, um, severity of the event, right? You're not sugarcoating it. And that was one thing when I would contact specific media members, I don't know, they never got back to me, but I would say, um, you know, you, you are intentionally, you know, choosing to misrepresent this and you are further eroding your credibility. Like anybody there. And I knew people there, right. Who said this wasn't at all the situation. And, um, so agreed man at the masses that says too many, um, you'll take my three R plus dreams and you'll like it. That's bacon. So Friday nights. B3 Outdoors, hey, buddy. Um, I can't believe some in the media kept blaming the SUV. Yeah, the SUV um, just over and over and over again. Like th this, yeah, this SUV, this SUV. So just complete garbage. Um, if you turned on TV and you're misinformed, I'd rather be uninformed. So Sass wrote that. Sass will be on the show next week. This is, I mean, this is a, a valid point. Like um, Aaron Clary. So my friend Aaron Clary, um, Captain Cap Captain Capitalism at blogspot.com. 
Um, you know, just I don't, I don't watch the news anymore, Dave, because you know the news is just garbage, and I feel the same way. I feel the news is is um, you know inaccurate, misleading, and not in depth. And I wrote about that in in the philosophy of information, the Orville Dam crisis in 2017. This, the dam was possibly on the brink of collapse because this main spillway had eroded, and it was starting to erode back. Juan Brown, who lives near Orville, went up with his his personal plane and was like doing a, a basically a five minute podcast on this. Said, this is serious stuff. Like the, the media needs to be up here. If this thing fails, like this whole area is wiped out, plus like five feet of water for Sacramento. And I believe it was one, a citizen, as journalist who forced the media to actually get up there and cover it authentically and not do this. Oh, oh, lay 60 minute second piece about, oh yeah, the water is raising at the dam and the spillways, you know, <laughs> you know, cracked halfway down and is, is deteriorated and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Um, man against the masses wrote this testimony. I feel it is a duty to myself to do the research and find my truth. So it is. Yeah. And again, um, in the velocity of information, that's strongly themed in that book through the 10 interviews and through building the member check network, an entire section devoted to that of how to find out and use I observe versus they said, so um, it is a phenomenal book. I can't wait for it to be out on April 15th. I'm so thrilled, um, you know, for that book. And then um, hard copy paperback, which gives a better entry point, like, you know, for cost and then ebook. And then also it will be an audio, but that is at a later date. It'll be, it's, it will be recorded in April, but it won't be released until a little bit later as per the publishing agreement. Um, I still think it's a win because <laughs> I didn't school of errors. I didn't agree to do an audio book and now I've got this audio book coming out, um, through like an actor, right. Who's on TV right now. So pretty cool. Um, Andrew wrote, I'm shocked the media isn't calling the SUV a gas guzzling SUV. Right. <laughs> Cause why not? Yeah. An inner in, uh, internal combustion engine SUV, right? It, it feels really weird to be buying a vehicle right now, you know, like in the next few days, like my vehicle should be here. And like, you know, um, just having all this media stuff of saying like in, internal combustion engines, you know, they're not going to be sold in 10 years. Like, God, the vehicle I'm getting rid of is 14. It's hard to believe like this is the last, this could be the last one. Um, Bacon wrote, or Sass wrote, my point was um, it's choose no news versus their news. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Sass. So no news versus their news. Yeah, their news is right. It's it's paid for. Um, and there is no such thing as in-depth journalism anymore. I mean, if you get like, hey, we're doing an in-depth in -depth piece, that might be two nights where it's 80 to 90 seconds. And I say this like objectively. If you go in and you record these things and you measure the number of seconds that is devoted to whatever topic, it could be a crime in our downtown area, smash and grab, or deaths along this road because of drag racing. I mean, big topics. It's about 80 to 90 seconds. And that's it, right? That's it. And after two days, it's like gone. So um, as you said, you know, sometimes, uh, yeah, the, the no news approach is much better. And then how you inform yourself, again, the velocity of information gives a, a real good playbook for that. You can get, if you can get four or five people that you know and trust to tell you what is going on in their setting. So like you're saying like what, so um, for example, somebody in this chat, I'm not going to name them now, but they might be on my show at a point. They, they've done a, a thorough job of analyzing um, 
ships, cargo ships off the coast of LA and monitoring those ships over time. And then, it, you know, kind of keeping the spreadsheets. So they're, so they can inform like what is actually happening with this cargo shortage to a better degree than, you know, like a news headline. Oh, like, you know, how many ships and delays and whatever. Well, like how many ships, like what are the names of the ships and how long have they been out there? And like someone could actually track that, which one person here is doing. Um, so if you can get three, four, five people around you in different areas to tell you, here's the price of food in my area. Here's where we're out of quarters. There's a coin shortage or they're only letting you use credit card or everybody has to wear a mask now. Like you get a pretty good feel for kind of what's going on versus like the media, right? Or people also saying, yeah, you know, I was like, my doctor's still accepting regular appointments and, you know, I don't need to, no, nothing elective has been canceled here. I haven't been issued papers to drive somewhere. So um, that is, again, the member check network. It's a, it's a great chapter. And you'll, when you read about Brian Bowden in the Bronx and Charles Mack in uh, Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh Med in that chapter, those are, ex those are just vibrant. Uh, real life accounts of what was happening, for example, uh, back in, in 2020. It's really good. So um, here's something. So on September or on September 12th, the day after September 11th, September 12th, 2001, the headline from the New York, New York Times. Okay. So I'm going to copy this because yeah, I just want us to, to think about this and post down below. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. Um, this is the uh, safety doc, right? And 741 subscribers uh, on my way to 1,000, which is great. Need more watch hours, so I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, please subscribe. Safety PhD has everything over there. Um, so what on September 12, 2001, Let's think about the headlines that came out in the U.S. in the major newspapers. So I went back and I was reading through the major newspapers. And the headlines were very angry and accurate, okay? Angry and accurate is how I would say 20 years ago. Um, so I'm going to, here's what was in the headline for the New York Times, all in capital letters, right? Bold. U.S. attacked, hijacked, jets destroy Twin Towers and hit Pentagon in Day of Terror. Okay, now at that time, it's a day later, so Jets, like, there isn't enough information to kind of indicate, like, it's Al-Qaeda or whatever it was, the source of that. But, like, U.S. attacked, attacked, Jets destroy Twin Towers at Pentagon in Day of Terror. So that's a pretty aggressive headline, right? Now, if that was written today, right, if that was written today, maybe we'd be looking at this for a headline. So I'm going to be posting this right now. So what do you guys think here? I mean, maybe this is the headline if it's um, if it's posted today. Planes crash into Twin Towers and Pentagon. Unknown numbers lose their lives. There would be there would be newspapers who would run that headline without a doubt. They would run that headline if September 11, 2001, happened today. So again. Um, you know, we, we see this, this, um, softening, intentional softening of messaging, um, which is not identifying the degree of the, the incident. And then also when you do that, I mean, there's this whole thing, right? People don't know then how serious things are. If everything you convey to them has these, these very softened nondescript terms with them, right? They're not going to, they're not going to easily separate things out when you're when you're always giving them news 
which is very measured. And I think people like everybody in China, Andrew Bacon, and you guys are going to be like, um, forget this. Like we know what happened. Like this is garbage. So the news loses its credibility. So we talked about the word tragedy. Tragedy is a catch basin for all disasters. Eventually the reporters will catch on to this, right? If they start covering things, if they just default to tragedy, it's kind of the safe ground. It's a tragedy. This is a tragedy. The whatever is a tragedy. 9-11 is a tragedy. So it's a word that's used by weak willed journalists and editors who are afraid to assign a cause to an instant. It's people who are weak willed, no backbone, no spine. Use the word tragedy. Get out of here. That's absolute garbage. Get out of here. Take that game with you. It's out. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. That's coward language. So immediately you hear the word tragedy. Tragedy is coward language. Um, yeah, we're not going to have that here on the Safety Doc Show. I don't I don't believe in that at all. If I even start to use the word tragedy, right, I'm going to think and say, what really happened? Like, this isn't a description. This is a catch basin, you know, pillow word that I'm trying to use here to, to soften or, or just, you know, make it seem like I'm giving credence to it. So I don't use the word. I stop. If I if that word starts to come up in my mind and I'm like, what am I really trying to convey here? So that's the thing too. Like if you're using tragedy, it's a tragedy and all of that. Well, do not like that is a weak person's way out. You're better than that. You know, like Andrew, Sast, you guys are better than that, right? Um, and that's where like velocity of information really again with school of errors and school safety, but velocity of information, you get that member chat network going, you start listening to the words, the indicators and stuff, like. Not only will you have, as SAS said, your BS, um, your your BS uh, detectors running at 139% being in front of the TV is literally painful to me. Um, I you you will you'll see this and you'll see it when other people use it and you will selectively not use use it right. You're not going to use the word tragedy, SAS. And the thing is, when you select not to use this, when you use authentic language, people notice. People will be like, whoa, like he's speaking truth, truth to power right there, SAS. They notice, trust me. And I hear it when I present on my PBS presentations get showed <laughs> or get, get aired over and over. And people will say, you know, like um, you spoke tr truth to power, right? Or whatever. And reading or school of air, stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, like you, you can identify these things. And that's what I also tell people when I'm teaching you know, my administrative classes, I'm like, don't use this word. Like, um, pause, think about what you want to say, but don't use these, these catch all basins. So uh, being in front of the TV is literally painful to me. So yeah, SAS, I'll tell you one of the things that, um, if somebody had a blood pressure meter and a heart rate meter on me, um, when it is ABC news and they come on every night and it's like David Muir and it's like, dun, 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 and then he's like breaking news tonight. I'm like, you are such a fraud. <laughs> um, this is the same Turkey who was at um, the Notre Dame Cathedral like two days after the fire. And he takes his bare hand and he's wiping it across some wooden altar or whatever the hell, some surface. And he's like, yeah, you know, the lead in here and and how are you going to mitigate, how are you going to handle this lead and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, like, this is crazy. You shouldn't even be in there, right? Like with, with lead, can, this is a just show promo, right? Like everything is like, oh, breaking news. And maybe people should use a specific antacid to prevent, you know, this pandemic effect. And um, it really, 
uh, it wears on me. I have to, I just boom, flip the channel, like gone over to the ghost channel, number 42. So ghost, <laughs> I can take the ghost channel because I know I'm being entertained. Um, but I, I just, I can't take that. And I had a friend or one of my roommates in college, um, Nate, who was that way back in college. He just absolutely despised the news. And I, and I never really like figured out, I, I was like, why? Like, why do you hate this so much? Until like, you know, I got older and I started to see what was happening. And I'm like, yeah, this is all, you know, lies and hyperbole. And it's just meant, there's this thing called like negative vicarious rehearsal. It's meant to make people feel very afraid, even if they're like a thousand miles or away from things, or it's very unlikely that this will impact them. You know, that, that news clip is meant to drive it home. And again, if any of you watch that, like ABC news, right. Uh, you know, the nightly news with Mir, just time out how much time is spent on anything. I mean, it's maybe 60 seconds, maybe 80 seconds, really out, outside of the commercials. So it can be this, you know, whatever he claims is we have breaking news tonight and whatever. And, you know, like even the departure out of Afghanistan was about 110 seconds. So, you know, and that's it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, that is the thing. Like if, if Doc is ever to have a, a heart attack or any, anything, it's gonna, it'll probably happen when the nightly news is on because I just get, in our local news comes out of Madison, Wisconsin, which is trying to emulate like the ABC, the, so they get into the same stuff. They don't carry the same credence, right? But they, they try to emulate that. And I'm like, oh, this is garbage. I do not like this. Get that garbage out of here. It ain't even that like warm. Yeah, I'm with you, Bacon. Like I just, I could, I, I can totally survive without um, the news. But I need to know what's in the news because I need to, like, when I instruct my choruses on with working with school administrators, right? I need to say to them, you know, if this, this is what's in the news right now. For example, when the FBI, uh, Merrick uh, Garland sent this. The attorney general sent this letter to the FBI October 4th about, you know, how to make school board meetings safer and how to gather evidence on people who are disruptive at school board meetings. I'm like, you need to know about this. Like, cause if this is on the news, like then parents are going to be thinking about this and your board members. And so you gotta be aware of what's on the news, um, but not necessarily informed of what's on the news because it's most likely not accurate. <laughs> right. It's just, it's completely, I've been on I've been on um, national public radio a number of times, and when I come on NPR, like I have everything ready, I've got kind of even like three questions ahead of time. Like you can ask me these kind of like the softball questions. The NPR always like goes in one direction and maybe ask two questions, and you're done. You you sit down, and it's like boom this, and then they'll like go to break, and for like you know sixty seconds commercial, then they'll come back, and then it's like boom, and then you're done. So like none of the stuff that I want to cover really, I mean, they, they just lead it down this path and then they give you like a couple quick talking points and, you know, you have a hundred seconds of airtime and then you're done. So, um, yeah, it's, that's why I like read the books, listen to podcasts, you know, find out what's going on, get your member check network, man against the masses. I'm in front of the TV right now watching Illinois putting the hurt on Notre Dame. Well, that's awesome. And Notre Dame, yes, bring in the pain. So I was watching the Packers, like, Take out the Rams yesterday. It was pretty good. So I got the fantasy win in one of my leagues, and I took a loss in another. So the second league, I'm going to have to battle for the final playoff spot, but I'm like in second place in my in my primary league. So 
So yeah, like another run here at the playoffs here for the safety doc who won it all in 2014. Uh, Bacon wrote, uh, Terrence Pont made me go, Space Ghost is on. So yeah, I've been watching. Uh, you know, I watch Pop whenever I see that that Pop is on and uh, Pop and Blake. So yeah, and you know, talking truth to, to power and what's, what's authentic, right? So uh, Pop and Blake. So yeah, Pop with uh, Space Ghost. So yeah, actually I would, I would like to be on Pop's uh, show to talk about kind of like this whole Mary Garland, attorney general, FBI memo stuff, because that never got resolved. Right. I, and we've started, I've started to watch, you know, and I, I do searches for these things of headlines for, you know, like FBI appears at a school board meeting or, you know, breaks into a parent's house or something. You never know kind of the, the whole story there. Right. But um, this, there was supposed to be guidance from the FBI after November 4th on how schools could could be, uh, I guess, um, have have safer school board meetings, and then also how they could collect evidence. And that that never came out. <laughs> so it's like, when will this come out, and what will it be? So I'll come kind of watching that. Uh, one too many wrote CNN did nonstop Iraq and Afghanistan war room until Obama was elected. Then they never mentioned again. So yeah, CNN, which came online in 1980, um, I wrote about in in School of Airs um, and. One of the things of CNN also is CNN, when they started to, so CNN, like, admit it, like, back in the early 80s, we didn't have enough to cover, you know, and people were getting tired of just watching, like, Congress in session. So they went and they would send a crew to cover some, you know, um, third world village where there was a fight on two streets or something, and then they made it into this humanitarian aid thing. And and so the the um, Casper Weinberger in 1984 had to put the Weinberger rules in effect of like, Hey, we're, we're not going to take our military and send them over for all these humanitarian things, which CNN is covering. Like CNN was trying to kind of work the American people up into, you know, this frenzy of, Hey, the U S should intervene in all of these, these things. So, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty wild stuff. So, um, let's, so coming into, so we talked about I have bad news to, I, I have bad news to share. Right. And then we talked about how to deliver that. Also, be objective and be brief. Okay. Um, there, when you we're talking about this bus accident, remember we have you know students involved in a bus accident staff. You got to be able to convey everything in 50 words. 50 words. So you write it down and you're working off a script, right? You are you write it down and you want to make sure that you are having somebody else like read that. And you you say it to yourself. Does it make sense, right? Uh, but it's got to be. It can't be more than fifty words, right? It's got to be fifty words. That's what you're presenting. Fifty words. So, if and, and here's something that people do also. So let's say that you're talking about um, this bus crash, and then you also um, want to talk about reunification sites. Okay, those are two separate things. So the bus crash is one press release, right? One time you're addressing the media and then maybe, yeah, 15 minutes later or whatever, you're coming forward and you're talking about the reunification sites. You know, like you're going to be, you want parents to be at the auditorium and then, you know, they will be notified of where, if, if their child or spouse or whatever was involved in this accident, where they were taken for medical, you know, care. And then they'll be, identify. Here's your reunifications that go to this hospital or whatever. Those are two different things though, right? So you have this main thing of this, this bus access happening, and then that's your press release. Boom. Here's your other press release. 
and don't uh, people try to field questions. We've, we've seen this happen, right? People, how many was involved? Why, where did this happen? What did this, and, and like, you know, that will all be later. One of the great things about um, the communications in New York on 9-11, like with uh, Giuliani, is it was, it's really a case study of coming out and saying, here's what we know. And then like a hour later saying, here's what we know. Plus like, we told you this earlier, like, and here's like the subway system is shut down or here's like, what is, you know, and it was very concise in these regular updates. And that was just like a case study. Um, but you don't want to get into this area where you're speculating can be real precise. And kind of my final thing here is um, this isn't about you, right? This, this isn't about you. And I've seen too many people, um, once the camera is put in front of them, they feel, you know, that they have to deliver this, this lengthy performance. And I don't think necessarily it's intentional, but people feel they need to display empathy and they need to start out with how this has affected them. So um, we have, what was it, the, the judge in the um, Waukesha um, massacre, the the SUV uh, person driving the SUV and the parade crowd, the judge talking at length about, Oh, like I, you know, such a, a, you know, strong, um, you know, feelings. And and I had to contemplate and and all of this weighing on me about, you know, this bond and, you know, ultimately this $5 million bond, which, you know, is higher than I've ever issued. So I was like, dude, nobody wants to hear that. It's not about you. If it's a $5 million bond, then you say it's a $5 million bond and that's done. Like, I don't need to know the interworkings of your process. And if we turned this over and had anybody in the audience uh, who was impacted by this or any, I mean, th- we're not here to to get this whole how difficult or what this deliberation or how this impacts you. And it, obviously, maybe, right, it does impact you authentically. You are here to be objective at that point. Like, you're not in the podium to indicate how this has impacted you. So that um, that really kind of burns me when people go into that. Um, and I think they do that because they, they don't have prior coaching, right? Nobody talks to them about how to manage crisis stuff. I We go over this in the class that I teach, the one class, the superintendent class, um, because some of the superintendents have organizations, private organizations they work with, on how to message things like a completed suicide, right? Of a staff or student member, or somebody um, crashes a car on an icy road on the way to work, is has their life taken from them in the crash, um, overdoses on drugs, all, whatever it could be. And, you know, these are the things where, you know, you you need to come up and, and identify, you know, again, what is happening. happening. And here's one thing, um, you know, you wouldn't want to say in that bus crash, right? You wouldn't want to say, in my 20 years as a school administrator, I have experienced loss of students and faculty and loss. Remember, loss. We don't use the word loss when we're talking about death. And this situation is a reminder that life is precious and that our community is strong during these trying times. And uh, no, like that's a statement you would use at a a vigil, a support event, or a rally a day later or two, right? Like, but you're not using it right 
then in the initial stages of communicating what's going out. You're communicating out, you know, the the factual information, transparent of what you know, and not including your personal, um, uh, I guess, uh, impact or feelings in, in this, right? Like that's, so, so let's go over to the questions here. Um, Uh, Andrew wrote to assess uh, one too many. Yep, every night would start with a death count. So, yeah, that, with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. So, um, Bacon wrote, I would love to see you on Terrence Pop. I'll super chat him tomorrow. Hey, you should. Yeah, super chat him. I think, actually, I think um, Pop and Blake would um, have me on. And also because of the connection, you know, of knowing Aaron and stuff like that. But this would be um, to have me on about this whole FBI surveillance um or the memo thing of like gathering evidence and stuff because that's out there like that's public knowledge like that i have that linked in one of my podcasts and um you know so so what does this really mean it's just this kind of hanging out there right <laughs> so what did what did the fbi say or or by not saying you know what is what is probably happening and you know i i posed the question to my uh, aspiring superintendents of saying you yeah, know what if the memo comes out and it says people uh, we're recommending boards that to videotape the audiences at board meetings. And, you know, what do you do then? Like, do you go along with that? Or, I mean, or what if the media, you know, you come on and it's the nightly news, the national news, and they're like, you know, FBI advises school boards to record, you know, their board of education to report, record audience members. And, you know, this will be evidence. And how do you get ahead of that? I mean, so you got to be thinking, right? You got to be be down the road. So let's go. And, uh, oh, so where am I here? By, by goodness here. So, yeah, Let's see where I kind of like. So a couple things. Um, one is if you have bad news to share at a professional level or at a personal level, um, start out. And this is, again, the Chris Voss method. Chris Voss is that FBI negotiator. You can find a lot of his uh, snippets on YouTube, uh, like, you know, 10 minute stuff, or even like full presentation It's pretty fascinating. And then, um, he had a book, uh, what is it? Uh, don't split the difference or, but anyway, when you have bad news to share, start out, you know, you have people together and they're attending to you and you say, I have bad news to share. That's how you start things out. I have bad news to share. Then you pause. So again, I call it the, I don't know if any of you remember, you can put it in the, the chat here. Any of you remember the Dennis Eckersley, Oakland A's wind up in baseball, you know, he's a reliever and Eckersley would have this tremendous wind up. I mean, the guy would be, you know, almost his hands, you know, down on, on the mound and then all around and whirling and stuff before he'd throw the ball. It was just this real incredible production, right? Um, and you don't want that. Like you're not there to set that statement up in any way. You are there to immediately deliver that statement. I have bad news to share. So family, you know, family, Hey, I have bad news to share. Like you entrusted me to invest all your money. I did. And it's all gone <laughs> because whatever crashed. So I have bad news to share. I have bad news to share. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked about this bus accident. So let's say I have bad news to share. Second thing is what would appear if it was like, in a study of, of this or whatever it would be, students and staff were involved in a bus accident on their way to a field trip. So it's your second thing. 
Um, the third sentence has to be an I statement because you are the one that it has the information you're conveying. It's not like I heard this from or they said or whatever. This has to be you to the person. Um, I have been in contact with the state patrol and was informed that some occupants of the bus have been transported to hospitals. Okay. And if you know, like the number for sure, like you could say that like 17 occupants or whatever, but early on, you're probably going to just know like this. I have no information about the types of injuries or fatalities. Boom. And then of course your statement after that is what you want people to do. Okay. You can stay in this room or we want you to you know, go over to the high school in the, in the auditorium. And we are going to, um, keep information coming in of, of where, who, who was involved in this and, and where they've been transported. Right. And then we'll, we'll get that out to you. We'll, we'll take your information and things like that. And then boom, you're done. That literally is, you know, a two minute or less. And you're not taking questions because you don't know anymore at that point. You would just be speculating. You don't need to drag that out. Lost their lives. Just don't say this. When people say lost their life, I mean, it's misplaced. And if you've ever, you know, if you've experienced right, somebody who has, um, let's say, um, was, was um, killed in a bus accident, right? You know, that if someone says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, they lost their life. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, that has a different feeling than saying they had their life taken from them in a bus accident. It was the accident, it was this, the uh, instant which took their life, right? Again, this, this whole thing of lost their life seems to, and parents will tell me this. Again, parents who've had children killed uh, say, this, it, it, it is like a dagger when people say that they've lost their lives. They've lost their lives. Again, it's not keys. It's not socks. You're not going to find these things. It wasn't some careless mishap. Um, do not say that. And I can tell you, if you're interfacing with somebody, right, who um, it, it has, has experienced, uh, you know, death, somebody in an, an accident or, or, you know, even if it's uh, that or, you know, aggressive cancer or whatever it is, um, do not use lost their life. You know, say have their, they had their life taken from them from the cancer or from the disease or from the accident or something. It is, it conveys a completely different tone um, to people, right? And if you were the recipient of that information, like you would want that. So let me go over to, um, let me go over the chat's been lighting up here quite a bit, which is great. So um, this is from Andrew. Andrew wrote, the worst is when the speaker tries to make a joke during the bad news speech. That is, that's horrific. And I've, I've seen that, right? Um, and so, uh, that is, again, that's people who haven't, haven't been coached. They haven't, they, you need to, before you get to that podium or you're delivering bad news, you need to run that by yourself as a member check and by somebody else. And you need to say, just like, you know, when I had reviewers go through philosophy of information, I said, this book can't read like a conspiracy theory. Um, it has to be middle of the road for politics. And, you know, there were certain things. And what you have to say here is like this, this has to be respectful. You know, I, if I'm not landing this because, you know, people are, uh, um, you know, kind of frantic. They haven't, they haven't practiced for this ever. They haven't anticipated this. Um, and they, they go up and, and they can, you know, say things which are just absolutely, um, de uh, uh, do not match the tone of, of the, of the event. Um, 
So it is it is making sure that yeah you have somebody or even or if you don't have somebody and then also yourself and less is always better right but yeah someone who tries to make a a, a joke during the bad news speech um, I I saw that I think it was I don't want to name which school event because I'm not exactly sure but it was a mayor who came up and and said something that was trying to be more light hearted to it it was totally crazy to to watch it and, and to listen to it and that was also the our lady of angels um school fire andrew in on december 1st 1958 92 students and three nuns perished in a school fire in chicago at our lady of angels and when the priest was doing the uh, the 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 mass you know and all of these there's a gymnasium all of these caskets and things i mean he was going off and saying uh you know well you know, it's a great day in heaven with all these kids there and these wonderful people. And, and it's like, what in the hell are you saying? So you can, I think that's on video and then it's also, you know, well-documented, but it's like, holy smokes, like, oh my God, like that, that is completely mismatched. Um, and you're, you're some, right. Somebody, you, you would say this and, and someone say, I know what you're trying to do, but do not frame it this way. Do not do this. Um, Baking up bad news. No one ever wants the test results came back positive. Yeah. Right. Um, hey, as our, our friend from Swamp Dog Armory. So thank you, Swamp Dog Armory. Appreciate it. And uh, by the way, I want to check. I got a message here and I think it was from Dark. So Dark says, uh, hey, um, uh, Swamp Fox Optics is doing a giveaway, and um, I really want to win. Could you be? Oh, <laughs> he's like, hey, could you or, or, Could you enter also? So um, he's giving me an opportunity here that I can enter for some, some optics. So, yeah, I don't know. I will check it out. So awesome. Um, so, Bacon, I feel called out. Nobody, you're not called out. Um, they lost it, uh, narrative, right? right. Yeah, they. Um, so, I mean, this will be a good thing next week when, when SAS is on. And, and you see these these words, and, and as soon as they come up, they, like, they, they click in your mind. You're like, whoa, they versus I observed, and, and they is a broadening and you know, tragedy is is a word which is really cowardly to use, and and you start to to see this framing out and say they don't know this is this is a sham, right? <laughs> this is not accurate reporting, um, or there is some intent here to to disperse the responsibility. Um, so, hey, yeah, it is Walt. Hey, Walter, man, I just made it. So, all right, Walter, we're at seven hundred forty-one subs up. 240, I think, in November. So it's pretty awesome, like celebrating here. Um, so the Swamp Fox giveaway ends at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, though, at the safety dock. So, okay, Swamp Fox giveaway. Um, all right, so Bacon was able to get the link out here. So, right there, Swamp Fox, Swamp Fox Optics. Awesome. Thank you for getting that, that out there. And um, good. So, Another thing, crash versus attack, right? We all saw it. We all saw the headline parade crash. 
And I would say if you um, if you see this in in you know whatever media, national, local, whatever, I I got on and I found where they they were on social media or their email addresses, and I would copy what they put and I'd say, "This is garbage. Um, you need to be better than this." And you know this this erodes your credibility instead of instead of using this word crash, uh, the, the appropriate term was attack, right? And instead of saying tragedy, it's massacre. And I don't know if people, you know, read that or their feedback, no one ever got back to me, but you hold, you have to step in and hold people accountable. Um, and the the other thing is like the language has changed, like the pivot on the on, um, Waukesha in the last 48 hours, the word killed has come in and that wasn't there before. I haven't heard the word massacre yet. I've still heard the word tragedy, but um, so, and um, again, if we go back to uh, the headline on September 12, 2001, the New York Times, U.S. attacked, hijacked, hijacked, right? Jets destroy Twin Towers and hit Pentagon and Day of Terror. At that time, yet, wasn't identified who was uh, responsible for the hijacked jets. But that headline today would probably be planes crash into Twin Towers and Pentagon, unknown numbers lose their lives. So be objective, be brief, uh, be brief. And let's go over to the, the chat here. Come on, 800. Yeah. So, uh, so Walter, I'm, I'm um, looking also for, I need more hours for views. I think I'm at like 1,500 hours. I need to get 4,000 hours for uh, monetization. So um, monetization of this channel uh, I, I think also lends itself to credibility. It's kind of like a blue check in um, Twitter, right? There's some back, I think when a lot of people got blue checks, it was it was an easier process at one point. But um, I, I, I want to have this channel where it can be monetized by the time the book comes out because I, I think it it will propel like the, the book, which is really important for people to understand the velocity of information. Um, how to build resiliency during chaotic times, things that they can do to, to prevent burnout. When I say burnout, that's, you know, actually as a technical term used in World War II, of, you had burnout of being psychologically collapsed. Like you typically didn't recover from that. Like these are people that would come back home and they would never really reintegrate back into society. So you want to be able to know how to put these fuses in before. And I lay it out really well. So we're going to, you know, get all of that. Um, so Walter wrote, because I didn't get called out enough already. So I'm not calling you out, buddy. And by the way, I hope your engine is good. I do sincerely hope that. You need to use more zero weight uh, oil. So um, too bad I didn't get to 300 yet. Uh, Mrs. Swamp Dog is off this Thursday when I'm doing the podcast, but she's got to get to 300 before she'll come on. <laughs> well, you have a good channel, Swamp Dog, and you, you just started, man. I've been doing this. This is like show 160 over like four years. So, <laughs> and... I'm just now at 741. So you are a trajectory which will will get you to a uh, thousand much faster than than kind of my my topic here. But I appreciate, uh, yeah, you'll get there. You have a good show. Um, so uh, yeah, one K is a big thing. So one I noticed I was I was reading stuff about Google not, or YouTube analytics, and one of the markers was once you cross 700 you typically pick up speed and then you pick up more speed after a thousand, but 700 was a point. So now 
like I'm over 700, 741. And, you know, this channel was about 500, um, you know, a, a month ago, right? So it is starting every morning looking, you know, you know, there's like five more subscribers or seven more subscribers or whatever it is. So I appreciate that. I, and from a, from a marketing standpoint for my work in the velocity of information coming out in April, my, you know, my publisher, I mean, they, they're very much in tune to the social media presence and the, when you get 2000 subs, right. And you can monetize and things like that, that it, it is, you know, this, this badge of, of, um, uh, this verification, this informal verification badge, right. Like uh, that is meaningful. So, um, I've been, that's why I've been, you know, committing to a regular podcast schedule and adding in that Friday face validity, which I've enjoyed. Um, so yeah, it's been good. Uh, Swamp Dogs wrote, I think uh, you'd be a perfect regular panel co-host on Swamp Dog Talk, the safety doc. Your points are great. So, well, yeah, hit me up with that. Um, so I, <laughs> thanks. I have a good way of explaining things. I, I know I talk quite a bit on this show. When I was on PBS, like it was a one hour live show, right? So a Swamp Dog, when they, when, when you are doing it live, there are different color schemes that come up as you're looking out. Nobody sees this, right? And you get, there's monitors in front of you. So they're communicating to you within the show of like, you know, like stand, move over here, do this, or we're going to like cut in a break or something. So like, it's it like, you have no practice of this. Like I'm not TV guy. Right. So, but like, um, you, you, so one of the things like there is I had to be very precise. Like everything had to be almost word for word. So I hit the exact timing, which I did but you, you start to see and work in that environment. So everything has to just click, but yeah, no, that sounds great. I would, I would make a great co-host. I think I, I really would. Um, uh, Bacon wrote to Sast. I was in my first day of high school when I happened, my mom came to get me and I was wondering just how I got in trouble. So I'm thinking when nine 11 happened is what you're saying as you were in high school. So I was teaching, um, when 9-11 happened and a fourth grade student by the name of Harley, he came in and he said, Hey, Mr. P have, um, have you heard about the, the twin towers that I'm like, I have no idea. So he's like, go on the internet. And so I went on and then it was like Yahoo news. Right. And then it was, and then everything just kind of started to stand still. Like teachers started to congregate in rooms to watch what was going on. And, and all, I remember like when I, when I came home that night, the the cars were lined up for blocks outside of the gas station because the thought was, you know, there, there wouldn't be gas deliveries, right? Like their OPEC might shut stuff down or there could be like these additional terrorist attacks. So um, it was, it was just absolute wild. Um, so uh, Swamp Dog wrote, uh, I've heard that too. There's are a few points in the growth here. Things tend to exponentially grow for a while. After that. Yeah. Another point, and please, if you guys haven't done this, um, go down and put something in the comments. I respond to all comments and, you know, a number of the shows lately have been getting, you know, five, 10 comments. So that is propelling it forward. I always do a thorough description and I also add tags in this. So when I think the algorithm starts to see all of you post it in there, um, it, it, I, people have said, Hey, your show has popped up like as a recommendation, stuff like that. So please do that. Um, you could say like, 
here's here's a time I saw somebody like present bad news in what I thought was a really effective way, or here's one time somebody presented it in a horrible way. Um, and, and, you know, things like that from your own experience, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, professional public or, you know, or personal, whatever you'd want to share of somebody, you know, sharing. And again, I mean, these are things nobody is, is, really coached on or taught even uh, professionally is one thing, but even a personal level of when you have bad news to share, like be very start. I have bad news to share. Here's the bad news. Here's what's you're supposed to do about it. Or here's like what I'm, I'm doing about it. And then um, again, that whole 50 word thing. So let's, um, let's go over here. Hey, Robert. So every time I see Robert, I love your logo. Uh, every t- every time I, th- I see Robert, I'm just thinking uh, zero weight oil. Uh, just p- Robert uh, with his experience um, in engines and oil. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I, I my my new vehicle will run zero weight. First vehicle I've ever, ever had. So and those are back in the days. Like I used to run <laughs> like as thick of oil as I could in my cars back like you know 25 years ago. Just so it wouldn't leak out. <laughs> I mean, as that was just pour it, you know, take like forever just to pour the oil out, you know, the like 40 weight stuff. But, um, so I think my, my LeBaron was running some like super thick oil there for a while. So, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Swamp Dog, you might talk a lot, but it keeps things engaging. You break things down for folks. Tables. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Um, I was already going to mention Bollards. It just didn't um, know how to spell it. So Swamp Dog, and it's funny because apparently I didn't, I didn't pronounce Bollards correctly until um, two years ago or three years ago. Someone said, um, hey, it's not Bollards. I used to say Bollards. And they're like, it's Bollards. Like, just say it correctly. Like, I'm like, oh, it was like a friend of mine. They're like, hey, I just want to tell you, like, you're, when you say Bollards, like, that's not, <laughs> it's not the pronunciation. I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was. People have said it, so it's Bollards. Okay, Bollards. Um, so yeah, they're like, where's this guy from? Where they call it Bollards, but um, those things are so yeah. I chapter 28 of my book here, uh, School of Airs. And if you haven't ordered this thing, boy, if, if you're a parent, please consider this seriously of understanding what is happening with school safety. Or if you have a friend who's a parent, right? And you're like, Hey, I'm trying to get the perfect Christmas gift for them. And it's $30. It's always been $30. I don't set the price. The publisher does hard copy though. This book has been with me everywhere I've presented. And it's literally, it's not bent in on any of the corners. It's, I mean, they really make these things well, right? So, um, but it, it's a terrific book. Um, and it is, it speaks to you. I wrote it to the reader. It's not uh, this heavy thing of research or other stuff. Um, it's, you're going to get through it in a couple nights and you'd be like, whoa. And then when, you know, you're starting to see things or, hey, like my school is doing this type of drill. You're like, well, I'm not sure. Or I have questions like principal, what is your objective? Are you trying to learn about your two-way radio systems or when you put these bollards in here with my tax dollars, uh, what else could we have spent that money on? Um, and you get to, to understand kind of just brutally how unregulated the school safety arena is, like completely unregulated. And I also talked about that on PBS, just shocking. Um, so honestly, the, the, the book is in this area by itself as this truth agent. Um, and it, it, and I, 
I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm always um, amazed, you know, when I read through it because uh, there's, I pulled in so much kind of different information when I put this together, you know, like how the, the 9-11 rescue of 500,000 people and how that works kind of like with school safety drills, right? You can only like practice so far into a situation. Like no one anticipated 9-11 and the harbor rescue. So in the moment, you got to make decisions, discretion. So I talk about discretion a lot in the book, like who has discretion? And I was talking about that today on um, uh, on, on uh, John Crump Live. And I said, you know, if if you asked teachers in schools individually, one-to-one, not where like they can kind of see who's raising their hand and who's not. If you ask them, say, what, um, there's smoke coming out from a classroom down the hall, like under the door and stuff. And you, um, uh, what would you do? And you you give some options, like four options, like nothing, <laughs> pull a fire alarm, you know, find an administrator or like, you know, investigate that classroom or try, you know, try to put it out with a fire extinguisher, whatever it is. 83% of the time, and, and this is over a very large group of people, it's continuous. We still do this. A friend of mine who's a safety expert, Morgan Ballas, to this day, we, we still do this. We say, um, how many, like, what would you do? And 83% of people say, I'd find an administrator because I don't, if I, and then you ask like, well, why? Well, if I, I don't think I have discretion to do this. Like I haven't been given discretion to pull the alarm. That's a big thing, right? At the school or facility or whatever, like to pull a fire alarm. I'd have to get permission to do that. So, you know, well, that's weird. Like, so when you start to dig into it in these school systems, you'll find like people really don't believe they have discretion to act in the best interest of others, but the law clearly affords them that discretion. Like there's like 60 law cases. And I just kind of summarize it down into like a paragraph or two saying, you can, you should act in the best discretion, but people are just terrified. They're always trying to find somebody to tell them what to do, even though they know what needs to be done, right? you you clearly know in that situation, you need to pull a fire alarm, get people out of the building. You can check what's going on, but very unusual, right? To see smoke coming out from under a door. Um, but people say, I don't, I don't feel I have discretion to make these decisions. And so you, you see that, like who around you has discretion or like in, in your personal life, like what do you have discretion or like you, your, your spouse or your kids or like who has discretion? Yeah. To do this. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling, but I think that's a big problem now. I think people are very afraid to take control of a situation to say, I'm, I'm going to take the lead in this. And it's you're you're acting in best interest is always laminated to context and situation. So, um, so Andrew, would have you emailed Joe Rogan? You could get a ten thousand subs. So uh, I'm sure I could. I haven't emailed him. <laughs> I'm not sure Joe Rogan. I'm not sure how I would get a hold of Joe Rogan. I appreciate that. Um, I I was able to make a connection with um, Mike Rowe from uh, Micro Works or you know the the Mike Rowe show, um, and I thought with Mike, like that he would be perfect to do um, a forward for my, my book, the velocity of information, because it was talking about how, um, you know, you have to authenticate information and you don't have to have all of this expertise to do that. You can go out and kind of be the citizen as journalist and be very effective at it. So, but that seemed like it had like some hope for a while, but then Mike indicated that um, he was, was doing the, the, Show, I think it was over in Minnesota, like it's the state over stuff, and it, it just didn't work out timing wise. 
Um, I think Joe Rogan, I think if Joe Rogan ever had me invited me, I would certainly be on the show. I think it'd be fascinating to talk about my experiences, right. With, um, with investigating all of the crazy stuff of what is school safety and who can, you know, say like, this is effective. Like, Hey, this door lock that I made at home and you should put it on. And it has like three, three things that you have to do before you can get out, like, and schools buy it. And then also like, I, I'm sure Rogan would kind of be into this because he's got kids too. Like his whole FBI thing, right. Of investigating and gathering evidence. And what does that really mean? And none of us really know, but we know like these doc, these statements have been made, these public releases. So, and you guys want to do that. You email Joe Rogan, say, Hey, there's this guy out there, safety PhD, safety doc. He's been on PBS a couple of times. And uh, Joe, I think you'd love to have him on your show. By golly. If any of you did that, I'd be sending you a free uh, book inscribed. So, yeah. Um, swamp do- or Bacon wrote the Swamp Dog. Yeah, Doc can vamp uh, like a boss and it isn't just filler. So, hey, thanks, buddy. Um, hey, it is Mrs. Swamp Dog. All right, just subscribe. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Swamp Dog. So, that is very cool of you. Um I think the descriptions of thumbnails is an area I may be lacking in Swamp Dog Army. So I'm not your expert with, with that. I, I, um, Mike, uh, Honcho, right. Got a hold of me and, and was saying like with my thumbnails and stuff, there are kind of like uh, two schools of thought. One is like to have an image that conveys it. And another one is to, to have very, a standard template with, um, easy to read text, which is what I've been trying to do. So, that blue background with my image and, you know, in the face validity one is, is changed up a little bit, but I'm trying to do standardized, um, to, to make it very recognizable. So I, I think it's good. Like I, I, I think I've improved my, my thumbnails. They used to have like way too much, <laughs> way too much narrative and stuff like that. And, um, so I don't know. I, I, if anybody has advice for me on that, I, we were at a family, we were at a Thanksgiving, um, family gathering, right? And one of my my relatives was saying, "Hey, you you should have okay. Remember that you should have you should have a Facebook page for your books and other stuff. Yeah, I suppose, but I don't, and I because I don't have Facebook. And you should have Instagram, and you should be making TikTok videos and all of this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, maybe like, and you should hire a social influencer. I'm like, I yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean. I'm, I very much appreciate people who give me like very specific things. Like here's a, here's some tips on a thumbnail that work, or here's like some other things, but yeah, I'm not really planning on firing up this whole production of, of this big outlay of my <laughs> money into this team to, to build up my, my stuff. It's got to kind of be organic. Um, and as, as dark, so dark and I were talking about this and he said, you know, the thing is like, you've done it the organic method, right? Like you're, you're not going out and buying subscribers and all this other stuff, which is true. Right. And he said, so when you get there, I mean, these are people who sincerely are vested in your work. They know you, they're following, you know, they follow your shows, they interact with you. And so that's very meaningful versus right. If you're, if you say, Oh, like I've got 5,000 subscribers, but like, you know, you've gone onto some site and you've just bought 4,000 subscribers. Um, so that is true. Like I can always say to my publisher, you know, who, the people that follow me, you know, there, there has, there's no incentive other than the content that I produce, you know, I'm not hiring, I'm not doing this big cash raffles or anything like that. 
Um, so my, I think it was my publisher, somebody analyzed my followers and they said, you know what, like 25 or 30% of your followers identify as like preppers or survivalist. And I, and I said, that's awesome. Like I, I love that community because and second amendment, I said, those are, some, those are really keen folks. Um, and I actually had, so Morgan Rogue, who's a, um, from Rogue, Rogue Preparedness, is in my new book, um, a chapter devoted to her and identifying um, velocity of information shortages from a, from a prepper perspective, things that she was seeing that other people weren't like the shortage early on of freezers and sewing machines and stuff like that. Um, so Morgan is in there and Morgan also has a back cover endorsement for the book, um, which if you just, if you were kind of like, Oh, the safety doc, like he researches like chaos and some other things, you'd be like, Oh, like this seems, this seems like this wouldn't be matched up until you like really read my, my work, right? School of Airs, Katie Pashan with P Cajun Navy relief and her experiences, you know, Morgan Rogue and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm, I told my publisher, I said, I, I love these folks. Like I, they are, they're really astute. They are, they're so in tune with, with things, the situational awareness. So I, I love that audience. They're like, yeah, like, so I said, I want a back cover, you know, from Morgan Rogue, like, let's put a back cover endorsement. They're like, yeah, I'll, all for it. So it's just kind of, some people have kind of looked at it and they're like, well, this seems like, you know, this, this doesn't seem like an audience that that, that matches. And I said, well, you don't know me and you don't want my, my audience. These guys are great. Like swamp and, and uh, bacon and, and sassed and, and so, um, so those, those are, those are great people. Um, smart people, voices, voices, uh, so, uh, swamp dog. Yes. Mrs. Swamp dog to bacon. So, um, laugh a lot. I was mispronouncing the holographic 3d tablet for a long time until just a few months ago when I was trying to tell folks about it. It's funny. Um, you mentioned something. So in my, in the book, the velocity of information. So Nikolai Razavayu, who is the, um, Soviet cyclist who cycled outside of Chernobyl a day after the nuclear disaster in 1986. Like I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. And finally I got it down Razavayu, but he talks about different Soviet authors who are producing Samistat or this underground newspaper stuff at the time like 86, 87, 88. And I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce any of these names, dude. I have no idea. So then like my narrator for the book is coming to me saying, how do you pronounce this? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. So I'm kind of like trying to get it from Nikolai or I'm like, some of this stuff is just kind of like, you know, it's a punt. I, I don't know how, I, I really don't know how to pronounce this. It's kind of a funny thing. So I'm, you know, also a speech language pathologist, right? So Phonetically, I can spell things out, but I, you know, even when I had Lisa Lenny on my show um, about a month ago, and she is the attorney out of Texas, and we were talking about parents suing schools over uh, COVID. If their kids catch COVID, there was lawsuits coming out. What does that look like from a parent side and school side? And I'm like, so how do we, we pronounce your last name? Linny, Lenny? I'm like, it's two syllables. Linny, like your knee. So once you get the Lin down, Linny. <laughs> I'm still like, Lisa Linny. So. I'm just like, oh my god, yeah. I'm not. I'm just not good at that. So yeah, you're 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 a big guy, or hey, like all star, like rock star, like I got it. So um, home run, you know. But uh, but yeah. So that's funny. So I've been there, man. I've been there. You know, it's so funny too because like I tied that show on entropy like a week or two ago, and 
I mean, it is a pretty straightforward concept. You know, we think about entropy or the deterioration of systems into a state of chaos. You know, like every vehicle will eventually rust and rot and stuff like that. Um, I didn't know what entropy meant three years ago. I didn't, like someone could say to me, like, what is your take on entropy of the roads? I'd be like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. I mean, so, you know, like there's so many, when I worked with Dr. Paul Rapp, to um, help with the uh, school of errors. So Dr. Rapp is at a military medicine and Paul would say like, this is what you're explaining here is like simulated annealing process. I'm like, uh, what? I'm like, and then he talked about, it. I'm like, okay, Paul, I need a, I need a different example. I need like an example. I can, I don't understand what, so he's like, oh, you know, so it's like a, your flight is canceled. So I remember him telling me this story. He's like, your flight is canceled. And then you can either, reschedule, but the, you have to stop in two places and then you have to take a bus. So the bus gets you closer. But when you're done with the bus ride, you could either get an Uber or you could get a cab or you could stay there overnight. And maybe the next night you could fly. These are all options. So like simulated annealing is something changes and then you have to inventory your options, make a decision, and then you get closer to your outcome and then you make another decision based upon your option. And then you just incrementally kind of get there. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like I can understand that. Um, so when I put this together in my book and you're reading this stuff, a lot of this is things where I've had to go back to people and say, like, help me understand this. We got into, I, so I have a chapter later in the book and it's about, um, it's chaos. It's chaos. And so I define chaos, crisis, black swan and force majeure. So, but when I was getting into, um, crisis, there's actually a mathematical formula for crisis, which I didn't know about. And when I got as a, I don't know what the hell is being. It's like, I don't understand this, but, um, but one of the things, so I'm talking to a couple scientists who work in, you know, chaos theory and something like, tell me what this means. Like, what is, what is this, this, you know, you're talking, also you're talking about chaos events lasting short, long-term, which I'm kind of writing about like, but what does this mean? And I remember one said, well, think about it this way. Like you have Halley's comet, which I didn't write this example in the book. I probably should have, but the, it's in there in other ways. Um, Halley's Comet, you know, comes around and it doesn't cause chaos, but if it comes around the earth, like you see it for a certain amount of time, it's there and you're aware of it. Like, so that's chaos. So it's close by, but then it, it, it doesn't ever go away. It doesn't vanish. It's not, it just moves out of your orbit. You just don't recognize it anymore. It's still there. And at any point in time, it could collide with something out in space and it could be rocketed back toward Earth and like it could just throw you for a loop. That's kind of, you know, this this long phase of chaos, like chaos that lasts months or years, kind of like what we're in right now, this extended pandemic chaos. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You know, you just kind of get used to it being out of the way and you don't have to deal with it for a long time. And then you just kind of get back into a routine, even though chaos is still there, it just hasn't vanished. But um but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I had no idea. Like I'm like, and, and there was, there's another term in there. It's called a bifurcation point in chaos. So as I say this, like I say it, like I'm real smart. Right. But I'm like, I don't know. What does this, what does this mean? And, and, um, yeah, when somebody explained it and said, think of an ice cube, right? Like, so, uh, there's, there's this thing called soft bifurcation or hard bifurcation. So as an ice cube temperature heats up an ice cube and you've got a it got scotch on the rocks. It cools down the scotch. Nice to drink. That's a soft bifurcation. Like over time, it just eases its way into the cools everything down. Hard bifurcation be like you're you're out ice fishing there in Wisconsin, and uh, the temperatures get you know heat up rapidly that day. 
and the ice thins out and you fall through the ice and you're soaked, right? You're okay, but you're soaked. That's a hard bifurcation. So I'm like, okay, so there's different ways of chaos kind of set in. It's written much more thoughtfully in the book, you know, I went through it, but actually then I sent the chapters back out to like the scientists. I'm like, what I wrote here, is this kind of on? And they'd be like, yeah, over like here, adjust it. <laughs> so, but I'd be like, I don't, when I, I remember when I started my PhD program and, uh, and the, the profs would talk about qualitative and quantitative measures. I didn't know the difference between the two. So I had to take a, a, a note and put it on my, on the corner of my laptop on like a sticky note. Qualitative was interviews, quantitative was numbers. And that sticky note was there for probably like a semester until I just got that down. Okay, quant is numbers, qualitative is interviews. I didn't know, like, no one ever talked to us. So they talk about this. You're supposed to know all this stuff. And so I'm just like, yeah, just a second there, you know, checking the keyboard. Ah, yeah, qualitative. It's interviews. So um, I, I had a prof in college my second semester, and it was a course on um, uh, language, right? Just just of, of learning kind of more sophisticated terminology. I forget what the hell the name of the class was, but it was a, it was a terrific prof. And I'll never forget one of the terms he taught. I don't know why he taught it, but this, he talked about a zarf, Z-A-R-F. And it was a, like a chalice type thing that you held a beverage in. <laughs> and, but yeah, to this, to this day, I can still, I still remember that zarf, but we need more classes like that. Um, so, um, bull rush. Hey, from Texas. Oh no, not the Ballard's. Bull Rush. Bull Rush, by the way, um, he is a big fan of 22-inch monitors. Like, I think he collects them. So it's it kind of his thing. Like any brand, whatever, 22-inch monitor, you've got it? All right. So if you're in the greater Texas area, get a hold of him. And uh, if you want to donate used or new, um, uh, not a Ballard's, but uh, monitors, 22-inch monitors. So... In all seriousness, um, check out um, Bullrush at uh, Lazarus Razors on Etsy. Lazarus Razors. Uh, amazing work that he does with uh, straight razors to, um, you, you know, we, we, we you just see the razors like in the store and you think that's the way that they always have been. And then you, you see the stuff that was out there in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, these straight razors. And then he reconditions these as an incredible work of art. Um. But yeah, I mean, it is it is absolutely amazing. Uh, and he helped me with a kind of a, well, a safety razor, like pick, uh, yeah, which has been remarkable. Like you don't realize like how great these things were until you're like, oh, I'm just buying these, you know, 99 cent sack of razors here, which are chopping my face up every day. Swamp Dog Armory, I should talk to you about my high school I went to. There was a lot going on, nearly the size of a college campus. Holy smokes. So yeah. My high school was small, I had like 50 kids in my graduating class. So not, not, a, and it was very like, I think like everybody I started when freshmen, like we were all there, like at seniors, like no one really moved in and out. Um, Bacon wrote to Swamp Dog, what are these descriptions you speak of? Asking for a friend. Uh, Walter wrote Bollards. Is that the same as Big Yellow Post? It is. Yeah, it's the same thing. And those things, so they put them in, in my community. And you know what happens? A couple of years, they they fade, and then they look really bad. 
And then um, they rest at the bottom because it's Wisconsin and people salt sidewalks. Schools, you know, definitely salt sidewalks to make sure that um, they don't have liability for people slipping and stuff. So then the metal bollards rest out at the bottom. They just look bad. And so, and everybody kind of subtly realizes what a mistake those were, although they'll never say it. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a bad thing. Um, so Walter wrote Raiders of the Lost Zarf. Sounds like a great sequel. It could be Zarf. I remember, um, yeah, you've chosen wisely. Let's see, that was a great movie. God, I mean, living in the well, growing up in the 80s, the Back to the Future, Police Academy, you know, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars stuff. I know it started in the 70s, but the uh, Star Trek Rathacon in 82. I mean, oh my God, like what a great thing to grow up in the 80s and to have those movies. Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters in 84. So there it is, uh, LazarusRazors.com. And I seriously, um, uh, you know, check that out. And this, this, I mean, just the, the skill that uh, Bullrush has in, in reconditioning these, uh, these straight razors. Um, and, you, and you really, you don't have an appreciation for the, uh, the effect of a, of a great razor until you use one, which I have and that from Bullrush. And I'm like, holy smokes, like this is unbelievable. Um, so yeah. Um, song uh, Army wrote, I think um, there should be a class on gentlemen's home EC, including cocktail mixing, grilling, firearm safety, and tailoring, and how to dress. That's, I like that. That's cool. You know, and I, I think you're right on. Um, when I was, you know, when I was slogging it to the office, you know, every day, I would be very thoughtful, like on matching a tie with a sport coat, with what shoes, what with what pants, and just kind of the, I mean, just the presentation on how, how to dress, even like now in summer, like I'll match if it's just summer, like a sleeveless, you know, whatever shirt with, um, I'll match the running shoes and all of that. Not like this is a big fashion thing, but I think there are like, there is this attention if, to how to present yourself. Right. Um, and even like, so if I, I usually wear visors. I, instead of like baseball caps. Yeah. And like, I, I want the visor to be like a certain way and my hair to be like up over the top of the visor and things. I just think there's a certain way to kind of present yourself. So that's good. Yeah. How cocktail mixing, absolutely grilling. Yeah. I like to firearm safety. Yeah. These are, it's, it's a, that's a great lineup right there. So cocktail mixing. So kind of, a, I'm a long Island iced tea guy. Um, Swamp dog to uh, Walter. I don't know the name of it, um, or if it's a guy or girl. I remember it being a girl, but I don't remember the name. Um, hey, Vanessa Kitty, welcome. Stationed in Alaska in the 80s. Holy smokes. I wonder what that was like. Um, Morgan Rogue from Rogue Preparedness, who I interviewed for Lost of Information. She and her family, they moved there. They live in Alaska right now. Did that in the last, like, six months. So, man, I have... I, I would love to hear what that experience was like. Um, yeah, I was often recruited to like work in Alaska. When it's speech language, like that was pretty nonstop. Like a shortage is like, what would it take to, as a young man, like that would have been 
maybe like an experience. Um, not now, <laughs> but holy smokes. Swamp Dog wrote, the trivia question will be relating to the concrete and the locker um, somehow. So, whoa, trivia question relating to concrete and locker. It's good. Uh, world's most interesting man. So you guys, uh, Swamp Dog and opening doors. Absolutely great idea as long as everyone identifies as one or two genders. I still open doors for people. So, and all people. Like, I just, that's, and I've never had that backfire. And if I'm at a, I'm not super tall, but like if I'm at a, a store and somebody's trying to, to reach up or it's like a elderly person trying to get something heavy, like I will always offer, do you, I, I would be glad to put that in your cart. Yeah. Usually people are like, yeah, that's great. Um, gentlemen's home economics. Um, so lawn care. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, I'm very, not overly, but I have a very specific, I, I think like there's a certain edging you should always do, right? You don't if, keep the way you should present your lawn, some cross cut things like just to, to do it, make it look, make it represent, be representative, like represent the neighborhood. Um, a gentleman is not required by gender. It's a matter of character. Not a matter of gender. Okay. Vanessa, the five years I spent in Alaska were the most memorable of my career. That's awesome. I I imagine, like, I I just think that would be, uh, be great. Um, I mean, to match it at a certain time in life, like to have that life experience. Sass one too many. Alaska's losing population like, like crazy top five states. Like right now, um, unless, you know, you're kind of Morgan Rogue, right? Like what would really bring you to Alaska? Because... Um, Right, the the oil industry and the in the mining and gold and all of you know, I remember Gold Rush Alaska it used to be a cable TV show, but like that's all kind of dwindling. So yeah, I mean, what would what would bring you, what would bring you up there? Um, so I don't know, man. I would, I wish I would have, I I would have at least gone to Alaska when I was younger. So Andrew wrote, yeah, it's a good time to buy a home in Alaska. Don't you get a payment too, like from the government if you? For every year you're up there, you you get some credit, some something. So, I I know Morgan said that they have a community well. She said this on a podcast. Um, they have a community well where they get their water, and then it's a a couple hours to like a Walmart. But she, t typically, like you can get the supplies. It costs it costs more, but even if you're very rural, you know it, it, you were able to still get things. So, um, finesse. Wrote, Always helping the store being 6'3", it is a duty. So are you 6'3"? Holy smokes. Wow, yeah. So I often find myself like <laughs> when I'm loading up a cat litter. <laughs> we have three cats. There is you know, there are people there and I'll, uh, eyeing up like something. You know, it was a 40 pound bag of cat litter. Can I help you with that? Be glad to be glad to do that. So um, by the way, like um, the survey company did officially stake the final corner of my property. Um, they didn't do it in summer after they surveyed. Like they found the additional the stakes that were there, like they were, which were two inch pipes, <laughs> two inch across pipes, iron pipes put down back when the house was built. And, uh, but in the front on the, the one side, there was nothing. So then they said, oh, we'll mark this for you. And then they never did. So I, I had to send them a letter and I see that it was marked and flagged. 
which creates an interesting situation because my neighbor's fence is technically on my property and my neighbor's nervous about it. I'm like, chill, no, nothing, no problem here. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's like, Hey, like, do you want me to take I mean, if nothing has to happen with the fence? It's not why I mark this. Like I've got some concrete replacement. I just needed to know where some boundaries were and stuff like that. So <laughs> this guy's totally nervous. So I'm like, no, doc is a good neighbor. I'm, I'm helpful. I'm a good, good person. Here's a neighbor. Uh, Walter wrote, agreed. I was having a poke at knuckleheads that would object to teaching something for dudes only. You know, I think I, I, I said this once and it was just kind of in jest, but I said, you know, imagine a community where in high school, like all the 18 year old guys, or even 18 year old students, I guess the townsfolk come in and they're all, and so the maybe students are down below and townsfolk get up in the bleachers and they're like, well, here's what it's like. You know, once you get out, like, you know, you got to have responsibility for a job and payments or taking control, you know, and not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but I just think there's so much that people don't, they don't understand. Um, they, they, you know, get, get in the dark, but I had one of my college roommates, he signed up for every credit card on, offer on campus, right? They give away like a t-shirt or some like lousy junky basketball or something like that. So the guy ended up having like 30 credit cards and then, um, you know, ended up like getting in debt with these credit cards and overwhelmed and, you know, eventually in all this trouble, like trying back then the fees to cancel them out and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, like this is all a scam. <laughs> you just got a, you know, 30 cent t-shirt or a can koozie or cozy or whatever the hell they call those things, you know, for this credit card. So he was always trying to be like, Hey, you should get this. Like, no, absolutely not. Um, swamp dog to uh, the safety doc. The concrete trivia is related to the story a little earlier in the comments. All right. So, all right, buddy. Sorry if I'm, that's, that's where if I had a, a co-host here, I'd, I'd be close to be able to bring that up like uh, Blake to bring it up to pop it. Okay. Um, I also, I worked at a concrete factory when I was like, 14 years old. Um, yeah, lawn be a part of the course, lawn care, right? Liming is really important to lawns. Um, it's funny because now I'm one of the older people in my neighborhood, right? So some of the, the and I, I always have a nice lawn. People do say that because I'll, I'll be out in a lawn chair like in summer toward the, you know, five, six o'clock. People walk by and hey, like the lawn looks good. And I know it looks good, cross cut it, stuff like that. But, um, it's all about like where I live, it's liming because we have sandy soil. So you got to lime, buddy. You got you to lime it up. Um, it's going to help you out. Um, so Vanessa wrote, there are just over 100,000 in Alaska. And I was up there. Most population was in Alaska. Holy smokes. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Um, although like there's part of me of trying to think back if I was like my early twenties, like what that might be like all pro Leviton crab legs equals gold. Yeah. And I uh, interviewed in the book, um, Robert Travis, the Alaskan crab boater who, uh, was in the Bering sea for two seasons getting crab. Um, so four months in Honduras was interesting, man against the masses. I bet. Right. Like I actually, that would be absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, Honduras and that whole, uh, there was, I, there was this place, uh, um, El Faro in Honduras. I looked up when I was like 19 or 20, a place that I wanted to go for like a couple months, El Faro, E-L-F-A-R-O. 
I never did. Damn it. Should have. When you're young, you got to do these things for God's sakes. Um, Andrew, to get all to get the oil dividend, that's in you have to live in Alaska from January 1st to December 31st. If you move on January 2nd, you will not get it. Whoa. Alaska permanent fund oil revenue shared with residents. Vanessa. Cool. Whenever DLD Gloys get on a stream, half dozen side chats merge. So Walter. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. Dark is I, I really appreciate Dark. Um he, you know, was giving me uh, some I mean, terrific advice, right, on promoting uh, the channel. And, um, you know, there, there's, there have been three people, three people total in my time as a, I guess, a YouTuber, right, 160 episodes, who made the effort to contact me and, and give meaningful, like, suggestions, right, who were interested in the content but saw areas like that I could expand the content. And Dark was one of those. And, and I really appreciate that from him. Uh, so, yeah, I think Dark is a really great guy. Um, All Pro wrote, I know Alaska oil payment from The Simpsons. Yep. <laughs> uh, are you seven feet in? Okay. Vanessa. Six foot eight. Oh, my goodness. So. Um, <laughs> wow. Sounds like we need to have Vanessa on the show. Um, welcome to Alaska. Here's a thousand dollars. So an apartment here, Texas bullet, Hey, Texas bullet, an apartment complex is several feet over my dad's property line, but he doesn't care. He's friends with the owner. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it, it is, it's interesting because, um, this really bothers them. Like it's, uh, they're younger than I am and they have a bigger house than, than we do It's a, it's a, like the, it was a doctor who owned several clinics that lived in this house. So it's this pretty prestigious property. And like I said, we're, we're kind of like the quarters next to it, you know, where the cleaning crew would, would live. I mean, we have a nice house, but like, not like this house. And, uh, and I he's just, he's, and I'm like, when have we ever like not been a good neighbor? Like, and, and I'm telling you, like we are having concrete replaced and expanded out on this one side of the house and this garage and, said that we're all cool here, buddy. Like, don't worry about it. So, but yeah, um, my, the back of my property, uh, is a, a butts park land. So it makes the, my yard look much bigger than it is in the back. Uh, it's, it's this really cool effect. Um, so Vanessa wrote math teacher. I enjoyed the uh, plugs for chaos bifurcations and such. Hey, cool. Like, you know, those much better than, than I do. Um, one of the things I did in the velocity of information is I identified chaos, um, by different states of chaos. Not that it necessarily was progressive. Like you didn't go from stage one to stage two to stage three, but that there were things like extended and comorbid chaos, for example, like the pandemic and civil unrest around the world. Like those would be comorbid happening at the same time during this extended period of chaos then how people react to these things. Like it, there were four different levels, which was pretty cool. Like I ran that by a lot of people and, and they were like, yeah, this makes sense. And I'm like, well, darn it. And there was a real stat type, type of thing. Like it's chaos, like turns up and turns down. Usually in the scientific community, you look at chaos as either being there or not. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really true though. Like there are these distinct levels, which I wrote about and because I wrote about it and it's published. Damn it. It exists. Um, chaos. 
Boris, the safety dog, what size of your jacket? Looks like it would fit me. 44 regular, buddy. <laughs> Always 44. 44 regular Oscar De La Renta. Swamp, I'd be happy to be your co-host so we can collaborate. Well, I I do want to bring um bring in a co-host um on the show. I don't know if I do it regular or like um to you know try to figure this out. Um but I yeah, it need I, I need to, you know, kind of like today, obviously, uh, you know, Crump and um um Rich or, or John and Rich, right? Uh you know, having having that that co-host, you know, just helps to make sure that things don't get lost in the chat and then and you have this other take on things or people like know like your works, they can bring things that are how about this or and then things that the co-host can bring in. There's a lot of benefits to that. And I do I have the paid version now of, of Streamlab, which makes it easier to to kind of collaborate, I guess. Like I haven't tried it out yet. Borush, um Walter to Bullrush, when was the last time you wore a spark coat? So so Bullrush, like he's always like very, you know, very slick in place, hair, very well kept. So yeah. Um yesterday between ten oh seven and ten thirteen AM. Fractals are a great part of mathematics uh, as well. This is from Vanessa. They are part of chaos theory, bifurcations, etc. Yep. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know much about that. So I could get into all of that, right? And it would make me appear like really. Oh my God! Look, a lot. Doc is right here about fractals. When I got into the chaos and the bifurcations and things like that, is kind of at the at the limit. I think I'm like really great with interviews. When I interview people. And so the thing with the book too is like, and right up front, I, I state this. I'm like, I interviewed amazing people who don't give interviews to other people. Like they're kind of reclusive or they're, they're very protective of their image and sharing things. So like, you know, you talk to Larry Lawton, like he's interviewed at like by an A&E special or something like that. Or, you know, Juan Brown isn't going on and, and doing interviews. I mean, Linda Stone. So you have to build up trust with people when you're doing a book and and then eventually, you know, they'll agree, hopefully agree to interviews and then you give them the transcript so you, they know that you're taking authentically what they said. And, and then when you, you write it up in quotes, you make sure this is exactly, you know, you read, you read this, this is what you meant. Or, um, so that's, that's a really cool part of when I did the interviews. Um, and then when you read the book, right? you're going to have these 10 interviews of these fascinating people and you're going to, they all come to life. And all you need to do in this book is you don't need to remember all of these specific terms and all that. You just need to remember what was the point of Robert Travis, the crab boat guy. Oh yeah. The point of that was like when you're in chaos for a hundred days, when you get to like 60 days, you, your skills get good. You know what to do on the boat, but you, you kind of, you know, get a little brazen. Like you, you just think you know it all. And then something catastrophic happens. Like he said, all four of his bosses were killed on the boat. So it's like, Oh yeah. So there's this thing like you can, you get when you're in chaos, your skills get good and, and you make good decisions for about two months. And then by the third month, it starts to go down with decision-making, even though your skills get better. And I have Bureau of Labor statistics to back that up when I wrote about it in the book, like the crab boaters usually, most of the crab boaters died or were maimed at the first three weeks out and the last three weeks out. So not in between. So what is that? You know, the first three weeks while you're learning the job, the last three weeks, you're kind of like burned out or like you're, you just, or you think, you know, it, like you just think I've, I've got all this figured out. 
I know what to do. And, and it's like, it hasn't gotten any saver out there. Um, You, you just, then you make a a misstep. Um, Clay Martin wrote or gave me a great interview that's in the book too, about when he was a recon Marine and a couple slip ups, you know, like once they were into extended uh, tours and stuff like that. So um, Streamer lets you link team members now. So cool. I got to look into that now that I got the paid version. So um, Finesse Kitty, you were almost doing 1,000 subs. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it was at once, I was at 741 when I started. Thanks for the 30 thumbs up. <laughs> but you can't give thumbs down anymore. So please don't do that. But uh, but I appreciate the 30 thumbs up. And then anytime, any, any comments, like, you know, if, you, if you're writing, hey, like, Here's yeah. When I here's a personal experience. Here's when I here's something I saw, like somebody presented information, bad information, or whatever, in a very effective way or in a not effective way. Or personally, when somebody did this, and I was the recipient of information being presented or observed other people, you know. Um, and I'm finally getting home internet set up next week. All right, Swamp Dog, good deal. I'm running a charter here, so it was all good stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I have a, a, a laptop that I, I want to also work into the mix here that I want to be able to kind of use that as my search. I mean, I can only do so much like when I'm running a show. I got three monitors in front of me right now. Bacon, is that 44 regular? Uh, I think it was my class of uniform size. Yep, 44 regular. Oscar de Laurenta. They've been pretty consistent. So except like when you, know, you buy one and someone's had it altered, but. Man, this is the time in life to be alive and buying a 44 regular Oscar dealer into sport code off eBay. This is the best time in life to do that. So they'll, they'll look back on this. Be like, when was the window to like get a Oscar de Laurenta sport code? <laughs> it was right now. It was kind of, you know, that 2020 to 2022 range. Like that was the golden age of used sport coats. And as some of you know, if you've listened to the show, like I can Febreze the life back into a sport coat. Uh, you know, bottle of Febreze <laughs> can can extend a sport coat through an entire semester for me if I can rotate out like three of them. Uh, just soak that baby down and you know, let it dry. Um, Febreze does magic because I do not have a dry cleaner in my hometown anymore, which sucks. So I'm talking 350 gigabits a month data before they slow it down. Holy smokes, that is a lot. Um. So I upgraded my phone, by the way. Well, I did. I have my phone, but um, the phone place has to transfer data to it. And I went with a bigger phone, like a physically bigger phone uh, with a bigger screen and stuff because, again, I use it as the camera and things like that. And my my brother-in-law has the same size phone, so I was able to kind of, like, check it out and things. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm going for it. I'm going with the bigger, the bigger phone here. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I'm talking, I wish I could get cable here. I haven't had cable, um, decent cables since I moved to the misses. Uh, that's why I stopped the competitive gaming. I used to be a pro gamer. Holy smokes. Before game was popular, man. One of the saddest things I did looking back was uh, getting rid of my Sega Genesis and Sega Saturn on eBay. <laughs> I don't know, like five years ago, but just because I hadn't ever, I had to use them since college and I'm like, damn it. That was a big mistake, you know, back with the cartridges and I should have kept those. I got rid of a nice TV. I gave it to like a relative. It was a flat screen, but it wasn't a high def TV. So it was easy to plug the gaming stuff into. And it worked fine. I just didn't need it. So all these things like 
Ugh. I still have my Intellivision, by the way, which, uh, but yeah, when I was in college, Swamp Dog, um, my roommates and I used to, to game all the time. And we had uh, a wall in our living room. And by the way, like the place we stayed was just this horrendous uh, old apartment building. And uh, the to give you an idea how bad this place was, the roof leaked and the owner took a kid's swimming pool. Remember those plastic pools you get like at a Home Depot or Walmart or something, plastic kid's pool. And he cut the bottom of the pool out and he kind of took tar and he tarred it over the hole in the roof. <laughs> so he'd come up to this building and this pool was basically lam laminated or glued the bottom of this pool to cover this hole. And our, our uh, when we moved in, there was a couch that was on bricks. So we just kept it. And then the single pane glass. So in winter, the, you know, be zero degrees and, and the winds would actually be moving the curtains back and forth. But, you know, as a college guy, it's fine. Um, but anyway, we would game like crazy and up on the wall, we'd write the scores. We'd play like, you know, Madden football, stuff like that, 93 and write the scores up on the wall. And when we moved out, we had to repaint, we had to paint the wall. So it took several coats to like get over. We just write up there with marker. The whole wall was just scores of all these games that we played. It's really, you know, it was pretty awesome. Um, I won the Super Bowl, by the way, uh, 55 to 48. So I uh, had a big lead, had to hang on to to win. We were, that was the game was supposed to be on cable access. <laughs> and at the last moment, the cable access in the college town, pick up what, 93, said, oh, we can't air this. Uh, but because it's a copyright infringement, but they were this close. Like they they had uh, uh, loaned us a because they always run these ads there were college kids making these shows kind of like a Wayne's world type thing as before the internet. Right. So you could have your own show. They were, they were desperate for people to like put shows on cable access. So we were going to do like our Sega football season or the Sega super bowl or whatever. So it would have been great. They, their loss. Um, Vanessa, two parallel fiber optic lines were laid on two sides of my location. I'm actively searching for a way to connect. All right, right when sponsors were starting to come on board. So, Swamp Talk. Vanessa Key, 932 megabits uh, incoming on the coax wire. So, I don't, is that, is that good? <laughs> I haven't checked my, I've, I mean, usually pretty good stuff here as far as like my connection because I'm in the city. Um, I can't believe the amount of money gamers make. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, who would have thought, you know, you could, have a career as a gamer. And then also, you know, you could be a professional YouTuber um, in, or influencer, or that you could have a solid second income from that, right? Like it's, I mean, I, I know three people, three people that that is their sole income and that and they do very, very well. And in addition to that, they have, um, you know, like a Patreon um, type thing and, uh, you know, a couple other gigs going on. But I know three three people, one does outdoors, stuff like goes to state parks and stuff like that and is built up and you know this this i mean like double the money that he was making before and then one of my other friends is is strongly into six figures and then um you know my third friend is probably in into the low six figures and growing and you know this is great for them i mean but 
I, who would have, who would have saw that? And that's the thing too. Like, you know, I talk with my superintendents in these classes and aspiring school leaders. And I said, you know, so there was a bill in the Wisconsin legislature and it was that all kids need to be taught cursive handwriting. This was this fall. So we were talking about that and I'm like, and a couple of people be like, well, that's a good thing. Like, well, why? <laughs> like, um, how about like every kid needs to know the basics of like how to be a, you know, social media influencer or something, because at some point, like all of, you know, their communicate, their, their employment stuff, all this, stuff, I mean, this is a viable part of the, it'll be a viable part of their life. Like um, that they should know how to do, you know, like a web page or how to set up a, or how to edit some video. Like, wouldn't that make sense? Like, versus like, you know, you got to learn cursive, you know, I'm like, I'm in my old school here, or is this, or in my new school, or what's going on here? Um, Swamp Dog, that was one of my first accomplishments when I actually was proud of myself, was earning my entry to the Cyber Athletes Professional League International Championship. That, holy smokes, buddy, congratulations. That rocks. That, you know, I thought about I thought about this when I was in college. My I had a couple of friends, and we were talking, like, what if there was, like, this Madden football, like, championship, like, you could have it go from college to college, and they would have to bring in, you know, like the monitors and the the systems and stuff, and then you'd pay. And it was it was modeled after like this Gus Macker basketball thing, which I played in back in the eighties and nineties. So it was this traveling like basketball tournament, and you'd you would, you know, enroll with three other people or something. But like, what if it was just like, um, and then you would just play, and it would go through this these brackets and stuff, and then at the very end, like it'd be before it'd be in an an auditorium like projected up for everybody to see that's before like the big screen stuff. So yeah, I wonder how it would be today. Like I remember when I was, when I went back to get my uh, master's degree at superior back in uh, 2001, I stayed in the dorms. And at that time I was like 29 years old, I think 29, 30. And, um, or was it? Yeah, I was like 29. And I remember, um, cause I, I was, you know, still playing, playing man football. And there was a kid up there, like an 18 year old, and he like dominated the dorms. And the word got out that this, that I was good at Madden and this kid was also this protege, right? With Madden. And, and I think he had asked to play a couple times and I was like, I don't know. And finally, like I agreed. So we got together and it was in, in the, the lounge at the thing. And there were like, there, there had to be like 20 people there because there were like people my age who were like, you know, going back to pick up degrees and younger people. And uh, anyway, I won that game because uh, it was the third quarter. He threw an interception and uh, he had been kind of pressing. I mean, we were like tied going back and forth and I think he was kind of getting impatient. He threw over the middle and I was able to pick him off and I didn't make, I didn't turn the ball over at all. The, so he's real angry. when <laughs> he, he left that. Um, and I'm like, yes, old people prevail in this old man gets the win here walking out like yeah that was that was great my old sega days um so all right let me kind of catch up here so vanessa wrote i gave my atari 2600 all my games to a co-worker and i shipped out of alaska in 1987 i bet you regret that <laughs> i know there's Let's see, like, would have shipped it to some location where you could get it now. Yeah, yeah. God, and I had friends that had Atari, and I remember, you know, just the hours that we'd play these games. I just, I miss that. I am, um, I do. I really long for 
just playing all those crazy games, Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff like that. And oh man, um, that was the last competition competition I went to. Well, at least you did it though, buddy. Like, good for you. Damn doc, did he install pool noodle instead of a toilet seat too? <laughs> oh my goodness, Pong. Yeah, I remember Pong. Um, my friend uh, Walter. Um, who lived above a restaurant his parents owned <laughs> in our town, had Pong. So I was like, oh, my goodness, it's a cool game. Vanessa wrote, I worked with the, the world champion in Zaxxon arcade game. He would flip the score on one court. Holy smokes. I remember that game at Rib River Ballroom. So Zaxxon. Uh, bacon to Walter. I think my mom's old Tandy uh, had Pong. Yeah, remember the Tandy computers at Radio Shack? So. Yeah, or Walter right there from Radio Shack. TRS-80, all that stuff. It's pretty pretty crazy. So, Somto, you were describing the early days of competitive gaming and when um, LAN parties, right? Yeah, were a thing, bringing the gear and setting up together, connected on local network. Yep. Yeah, um, I participated in a couple of those. So, God, it's so weird. It's just, um, uh, yeah, man. I customize my controllers, too. Like I would put artwork on them and stickers and just so they look really cool, you know, like stuff. Um, oh man, I wrote my own playbooks. Like when I did man football, like I had a notebook and then <laughs> I would design my own. So I knew how many clicks, like, you know, you get the 24 second, you know, clock and stuff like that. Somebody. So one of my roommates like stole it once. So then like when we got to a game, I was like, ah, I don't have this memorized. Vanessa wrote, uh, once ran the underground work Doom Network games back at a certain company. Whoa. Whoa. Um, MUD's multi-user dungeons, text-based games on various main frame machines. Holy smokes. Sounds like a masculine geek, like you'd have a great conversation there with uh, their dungeons yeah, stuff. Cool. Um, Swamp Dog wrote, all my favorite gaming was on custom unofficial servers. I only played on the official servers for ranking for competition. So, um, Vanessa wrote, as a freshman in high school, I attempted to buy Texas Instrument first 16-bit CPU. I wrote to them, etc. The TI-99, I think it was. Oh, that's cool. Well, Vanessa, that's really cool. Yeah, I remember the ti I remember the TI calculators, right? Like, and they were starting to come out with the graphing calculators uh, when I was in high school, and it was such a big thing. So, holy smokes, yeah, Texas Instruments was was such a big thing. I think they still do like quite a bit of of business, but to have that that graphing calculator, and just think, right? Who in the world remember the old things of you got to know this because you won't have a calculator with you all the time? It's like, well, yeah, now I have a a calculator with me. I also have a map, a GPS, I have a recorder, I have a video studio. Like I have all this with me, like right now, <laughs> plus an entire encyclopedia. I mean, isn't that crazy? Isn't it to just to think about that? You know, the power of your your phone to uh, to do that. So, oh God, that's just wow. Um, here's Bacon putting the link to uh, Masculine Geek. So they have their shows on Wednesday night, Masculine Geek. Uh, podcast. And I invented the protest rush strategy. Will not explain. That's bull rush. So, whoa, whoa. Hey, here's our, our friend 
SAS to Vanessa. I ran NCR mainframes in 1984. So SAS again will be a guest, not a guest, be the guest on next week's uh, Safety Doc podcast. Um, Monday night, 8.15 on December, what is that, 4th? 6th, December 6th. Um, I'm kind of in this, like, I, I can't, uh, I, I can't rationalize that like Christmas is less than a month away. I mean, we haven't had snow yet because some of that's just kind of forced. About it. <laughs> when you're in Wisconsin, when I grew up in northern Wisconsin, you know, it's very defined, you know, snow, cold, stuff like that. And then in southern Wisconsin, so like sometimes it snows by winter, you know, by Christmas. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I'm psychological. This year, I, I'm just not like recognizing, oh, you know, less than, you know, we're, we're four weeks away from Christmas. That just doesn't seem right. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't register with me. So, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like this year is different. I don't, I don't know why that is exactly. Um, so Vanessa wrote HP, HP Hill, Packer calculators. I bought my first while stationed at Indian head Naval station, Maryland up in DC on a weekend. So, um, and so Vanessa, one thing with Hewlett Packard, an interesting safety story as an aside is they had a, um, some of their, I don't know if it was original software or some of their original prototypes. I'd have to go back, but this story's out there. When they had the wildfires in California, um, some of their, their critical early infrastructure examples were just kept out like in a shed, <laughs> like in a shed where you'd keep a rake and a lawnmower. Um, next to the building, and it got destroyed. And in, and looking back, they're like, "Why in the hell was that ever out there? Like, does it make any sense?" And yeah, so something that had to do with the early prototypes or code or something that was, and it wasn't replicable. I mean, that was it. And it literally was, yeah, in in the shed next to the rake and whatever, and it got burned up. <laughs> so, I mean, they're like, "Oh, damn it." Um, you missed my comment earlier at the safe talk. Are you busy Thursday evening, 7 p.m. Central Time? Um, I did miss that, and I don't know right now. Um, so let me think and get back to you. So, uh, Tuesday nights is a Mallard podcast, Wednesday night is, um, oh, wait, Thursday nights is uh, Old Humble Distilling Company. So let me let me think about 7 p.m. Central though is typically a good time for me. So um, not saying no, just saying let me let me figure this out a little little bit. So <laughs> I do have this kind of nebulous schedule, which is a plus of being retired, basically. Um, so uh, don't make me Zerglings. Hey, it's Sport Brand. This is one of the best logos on the internet, right there. Sport Brand coming to you from Sport Brand. Brought to you by Sport Brand. Shelter in Paradise. Um, did you construct additional pylons? Whoa. Um, I learned machine language programming as an IBM card reader system. Holy smokes. So Vanessa has a, a ton of information. So Vanessa, like, um, this would be great to, to talk about. Also, like living in Alaska and this transition and the early stuff with technology and how you kind of saw that and how it's... In, impacted maybe what you did. My email is available from my website, which is here. I get it 
a lot of spam email. <laughs> and it's just the way that life is. Um, so I have to go through, yeah, a lot of spam. Uh, but that is, uh, you can find it um, if you go to like contact. Uh, and I'd be interested in, if you're interested talking about, hey, look, could be on the show and here's what I could talk about because it sounds pretty cool. Um, so Swamp, would you be willing to come on? Oh, look at this. Now Swamp is in there and he's already poaching a potential guest. So look at this. The old the old swamp dog there is now poaching. So which I'm kidding. Uh, it seemed like I was doing that with Masculine Geek because I think for three episodes in a row, like after the person was a Masculine Geek, I had them on my show. So it's kind of the circuit, right? It's kind of like doing Late Night with Fallon and Seth Meyers and, you know, working your way around. But <clears throat> that's funny. Um, Bull Rush is Bull <clears throat> sport brand except for geometry and trig i haven't needed anything i learned in high school i dropped trigonometry it's a fact to uh to take plastics and to this day i still have the sled i made it the fiberglass sled i made in plastics and i still have um well, yeah, i have that i have three things i have a paperweight that has a padlock inside of it it's clear <laughs> plastic and i have a duck so felt well worth it um, 7 p.m. Thursdays are free for you. Oh, good to nobody. So, oh my goodness, this guy. So, don't you, isn't it? I I don't know. <clears throat> Sorry. I don't know the, the whole lineup of, of shows right now. So, is that when you've got Let Them Burn? So, sorry. So, that's why I'm not committing to anything right now. So, this is the biggest space-time thing for me. That I wouldn't... I, I wouldn't encroach on any of those shows. Um, retired USAF in 1996. All right, United States Air Force. Thank you, Vanessa, for your service. Thank you. <clears throat> I feel fine. It is a combination of low humidity and talking for a while down here. Um, Swamp has asked me as well. So Swamp's a good guy. So um, thanks, my dude. All right. Um, so a few things here. Um, if you have not subscribed to this channel from your primary account or your seven ancillary YouTube accounts, please do so and um, share this right and post a comment down below. I will respond, but Hey, that really helps out the algorithm uh, to post a comment. So I see uh, we are up to uh, seven hundred and um, 43 or seven, uh, seven hundred. And 43 subscribers. So, um, so yeah, that is that is cool. So, thank you so much. Um, so, uh, Vanessa, a teacher's job is to open your eyes to all math you see every day around you. So, I had to do some pretty intricate math when I figured out the landscape around my house. I still kept the diagram and the, the formulas I used to. It all worked out. Um, safety doc, fountain pens are better than ballpoint pens. That's like a... Um, um, what is it? The Gatorade sucks there with a Bobby Boucher and the water boy, man, they probably are, but I love my, um, my Mont Blanc. Well, I was going to reach down and try to get the pen out, but it's put it away. The, the ballpoint Mont Blanc pen that I have that I signed books with that thing is awesome. Got it at an auction. Um, one of my friends who was a pen a connoisseur, like found it and said, this is the one you want. And then when I ordered the ink, from Mont Blanc, they sent it in this like real formal packaging and like this letter, like 
thanking me for the ink and you know the order and stuff like that. It's real upscale, buddy. Uh, it's sport brand. You can kind of have a good logo like that, like the safety deck. That logo has been been around for quite a while. Still, it's holding true. Uh, yeah, Andrew, thank you uh, to Kitty. You bet. Hey, it's our good friend Solitude Server. You rock, Safety Dog. Solitude Server, you rock also. So I appreciate that. I know I've seen you in, on some other shows and over at DLD and Bacon's uh, show. So thanks, buddy. Uh, you've got some interesting takes on things, but you know I think you're definitely fun <laughs> and enjoying life, I guess. So cool. Appreciate that. Uh, this is from our good friend uh, Swamp. Hey, make sure you all smash that like button. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, is our bacon funny enough? Mathematics was the first class my aircraft maintenance college taught. The fact that you can run through basic addition and subtraction all the way to trigonometry should be telling. Very cool. I had a very uh, mean <laughs> high school like geometry and teacher and stuff like that. Just not a nice person. Very like you kind of yelled. So. Um, Vanessa wrote, Miss My Trekker space pens have been faithful companions of very variety of climates. I used to have one of those. I don't know. I think I, I sold it like at a rummage sale or something. My space pen. But uh, Bullrush, I thought quills and ink bottles were where it's at. Um, when I when I first, when I wrote School of Airs, uh, a couple of people were telling me to get um, yeah, a fountain pen and sign books that way. And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but the thing is, like you have, you want to sign it with a good pen so the ink doesn't fade. Because here, as an example, I, I threw out this pitch. It's dated 731, 2019, this opening pitch at uh, Wade Stadium in Duluth minor league baseball game. You can't even see the writing on it because it's faded off. It says first pitch, Wade Stadium. And it was just some cheap pen, you know, that the, they had at the ballpark that the guy was using. So it's too bad because, I mean, I don't know what to do with it. Like I, I could try to touch it up or I could just let it let it fade away and oh man I don't know it's a, what do you do what do you do um so and Vanessa saying I learned the platonic solids in sixth grade whoa that wasn't in my sixth grade um Boris uh, to sport brand I learned more math working construction during summer break back in high school yep yeah I'm with you um, gotta get ready for bed. Got double shift tomorrow at the deer processing. All right. Oh, Swamp Dog. Well, thanks for being here, buddy. Yep. And, uh, I look for, I know you, uh, contacted me, so, um, we'll be in contact. So yeah, thanks. And thanks, uh, Mrs. Swamp Dog for, uh, signing on. Uh, nice Swamp Dog and cool. So, all right, let me just hang around here, guys. Let me do the, the recap. So we were talking today about the, um, but the language, the lexicon of crisis communication. And if you have bad news to share professionally or personally, start out with, I have bad news to share. Then pause and then um, state what the, the bad news um, is. And then, you know, that you're saying, I am have been informed. It's an I statement. And then you are telling people what to do. Wait here or uh, more information in 45 minutes at the same location. And and do you not embellish your own personal experiences in this? Nobody cares. And it just eats up time and you need to get right to the point. Um, when you find yourself 
where you you might be starting to say, um, I'm sorry, um, this person lost their life or something. Rethink that, right? Um, they had their life taken. They had their life taken by cancer or, you know, they had their life taken um, in this uh, ATV accident or drowning or whatever it is. They had their life taken. Um, that is that connects with people at a much deeper level. When you say like, again, you have a person who lost their life, it's, it, it signs us kind of culpable. Like there was an opportunity or there's an opportunity to like gain this life back. So it might seem like a small thing, but again, I've talked to several parents who have, have um, where their children's lives were taken. And they said, the difference in hearing those terms uh, really sinks in immediately. Um, crash, tragedy, attack. Everything can be a tragedy, so don't use it. Be authentic in what you're communicating. Again, the Waukesha uh, Parade Massacre uh, that happened um, two Sundays ago. Um, yeah, that wasn't a crash, right? And also, uh, tragedy is a very weak way to describe that. So tragedy is is an easy easy way out. Um, so yeah. And those are, you know, just kind of the things in crisis uh, communication, important communication. So kind of wrapping up here on the the chat. Well, a couple of things is one. Thank you for the thumbs up. I see there's 31. So appreciate that big time. Um, also, if, um, uh, yeah, if you subscribe, if you share, if you do comments, you know, I think the biggest thing right now, as I look forward to the release of the Velocity of Information, April 15th, and this channel, kind of the two things that need to merge at that time would be like the 4,000 hours of viewing time, um, which means <laughs> like some of you will be like, go check out some of the stuff the doc has is, is produced in the past. I mean, there's there are a host of fasting shows. The one I had Justin Dooley on uh, a few years ago, we were talking about like w winter in Wisconsin. Like what what are things like you should keep with you in your vehicle? And we, we brought things to the show and stuff like that. That's really a, a cool show. I had a drone guy on Preston Rice, we did two shows. Yeah, and he was showing me like commercial drone, like here's how you'd, you you could search and do search and rescue. Or not rescue, but you could search with a drone. So like he's setting it up and showing and stuff. So like it was a really cool episode, or two episodes, Preston Rice. Um, going back to some of the earlier episodes, um, I had a person on who had a, a search and rescue dog, Sierra. So she's talking about, yeah, I get a call, like I got to I go home, we got something kind of packed. We go to the site. The dog can only like kind of sniff for like 30 minutes and you have to like reset the dog. Like dog needs a break and um, otherwise they, they lose the, the scent. I mean, some of the, all the stuff I didn't know. And um, and so, so yeah, the, these interviews, you know, like Robert Travis and the crab boat and, you know, Clay Martin, Larry Lawton, uh, America's Biggest Jewel Thief and um, Nikolai Razvayu, like what was it? what was happening there in Soviet Union day after Chernobyl and like you're told to bike and they're washing down the roads and soaping them up and hosing them down and holy smokes, my God, he snuck away with a transistor radio to find out what was happening. Oh yeah. There's radiation being detected in Sweden. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are all great, great shows. Um, what I try to do is, is always, you know, with the blog post and, and when I do the shows, there's always like something, hopefully like a new, like you're going to, to get out of that. 
And then if it's just a body of work, right, there'll be little pieces that'll just kind of skill stack or just kind of add up. And there'll be some, you know, some memorable, you know, shows. You'll be like, oh, there's another really cool thing. Or this whole thing of positive recency. I did a show on that. Um, and it was a thing of like, you know, like if you're gambling and you, you're at a roulette wheel and you, you get red 10 times in a row, you're probably going to keep gambling, even though the chance of red or black is 50-50 for the next one. But these people, this positive recency really messes with people in their decision making um, when it's like always kind of a 50-50 chance of doing things. So recognize that in your life and positive. Are you just succumbing to positive recency or are you really looking at the odds around you, what's happening? So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's cool shows. Um, and, and like I said, this upcoming week, week from today, SAST one too many is on. He's going to talk about life um, after a traumatic brain injury and then also um, how he reached a point with uh, contemporary media where he's like, I need to get rid of this and here's how I got to get my information. We'll also probably talk with SAST about um, his cannonball run uh, stuff. So he is well known on the East Coast uh, for up to 200 miles per hour from work to home and home to work. Uh, so literally starts his vehicle um, with a foot on the accelerator, car in drive, turning the key all in one motion. So as the moment uh, ignition hits, he's already up to like 70 miles an hour. So yeah, he is uh, he's known for the cannonball run. Always safe. So he's got people out ahead, knows what's going on. But yeah, the cannonball run. So as you might know, there's a movie, The Cannonball Run. There's also Smoking the Bandit, both those, based upon Sast. So I don't believe he gets any royalties. But uh, if you go to Wikipedia, it was entered there for a while and it was taken off. Uh, but really, yeah, people know. They, they're like, it's Sast. It's a, it's a guy that inspired Smoking the Bandit. So sometimes people will pull up like their Trans Ams and they'll be like, hey, will you sign this with a magic marker? He's like, I don't, I guess. I don't know, man. They're like, no, sign it. Like right here on the hood, big magic marker. Sassed one too many. And then they're like, look at this. And then they take it to shows and people come around. And they're like, is that, is that really sassed one too many? And they're like, hell yes. Look at it. I took a picture. And there he is. They're like, I guess it is. And then everybody kind of gathers in that area. So it's really something. I mean, it really is. Uh, and the guy deserves it. He's just a cool guy. He is a good guy. He's a really good guy. I'm glad to have him on the show. Yeah. I am razzing there, of course, with the, with the cannonball run. So it's, it's one of these things like, if you talk about it enough, it just starts to become the given story. <laughs> like you could take that at some point and, and if you had some other people saying it, it, it could just become, yeah, this was something that Sast did. He is the cannonball run guy. I'd be like, well, yeah, it exists in the show that doc did. And then it exists over here. And this person talked and the swamp talked about it. I guess he is the cannonball run guy. So God, so that's, um, is that rough on the drive? Yeah. Swamp dogs. So yeah, I, I don't know. Sast. I mean, he, I don't know what he, I don't know what he runs probably zero weight oil, like to really thin things down full synthetic. I don't, uh, but he was telling me, he said, uh, one of my cars, I had, I had the lane departure on one of the new vehicles when he was doing Campbell runs. So like, um, when he, he was kind of like getting a little sleepy, like go out and then it would it'd kick him back. And he's like, you know, you thought something was wrong with the tires, right? So no, it's just it's a lean. You got to turn that, got to turn all that stuff off. Like when you're doing cannonball run, you get all the sensors, you turn them off. Cannonball run that not really best in these new cars. It's kind of more of 
like the 90s like a like a buick lucerne would be a good cannonball run <laughs> like a like a with that 3800 engine there like you put extra gas that would definitely work, make it work people that are prone to gambling will rationalize continuing going by saying the odds of being the favor eventually they'll remain 50 yeah right that's there's been the studies like on gamblers where the the thought is perpetually right that you will eventually hit it and then even out so you just keep going and going and going so so that way in the stock market too like i used to trade um like i don't know 20 years ago um pretty aggressively in in stocks and you'd <laughs> you'd get this downward spiral um yeah it's it's kind of it's interesting because the uh the thing happening today well so like general electric back years ago i owned that stock and then it just kind of didn't do anything and eventually just kind of went, kept going down but um so then like after long after i was out of it like ge which you think would be a pretty good stock right they make locomotives and airplane engines and how the hell is that not a good stock but apparently it's just not and um so GE did a reverse split. So then instead of having their stock at $20, they said for every five shares, we're going to create one. So now it's like worth $100 to make it look like it was more valuable. Well, that didn't work. And then like just uh, recently in the last few months, they said they're splitting off into like three companies. And that's always a bad sign. Like, right. When, <laughs> typically when you see, see companies that split off companies or split into multiple companies that are traded, like that's usually a bad, not always, but. Like in GE's case, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing. Um, but anyway, it's like, damn it, I don't know where these this company even, this weird, crazy stuff. Andrew said, CNN today, Chernobyl was a tragic and unexpected conclusion to a safety drill. So, wow. Um, well, what? I don't even know if that's authentic, right? Um, I, don't, I don't, yeah. First of all, right, anytime you see the word tragic, like, let's get rid of that. It wasn't intentional. Uh, it was, it was, une I guess it was unexpected, but, um, yeah. There was, I mean, there were a lot of personal, very bad decisions that were made and then just compounded and not following protocols in Chernobyl. One of the really fascinating parts of Chernobyl, too, is to, like, to research the miners, M-I-N-E-R-S, that were brought in to, like, tunnel underneath to try to put boron and stuff. So the, and it was like a death sentence to do that. I mean, holy smokes. Um, Sastra, run without oil, slows me down too much. Yeah, get rid of that. Just and run without an air filter. He's like, straight it straight in. I'm just gonna let it go. So I'd use all wheel drive for cannonball. Wow, yeah, all wheel drive. And then that is, uh, Whoa, uh, sass too, too many, uh, too many friction welding. Whoa, um, so I, I did too, apparently, according to the engine ship. Oh, nobody. So I know you, yeah, you were sharing that your engine kind of seized up on you there. So loss of cool, coolant at the uh, reactor bath. I remember uh, Three Mile Island and then also, um, the Fukushima, um, you know, plus Chernobyl. The chapter in the book about Chernobyl is really awesome. Um, you know, it's not specifically getting deep into the reactor stuff, but it's talking about Nikolai, who was a Soviet national cyclist, had to cycle, even though, like, the 
Western cyclist this peace race, which was kind of like the equivalent of the Olympics were dropping out and he's seeing all this stuff and he's like, this is like a death sentence, like to be out here with this, you know, the radiation coming down and 20 years old. And if you like bail out of that, you know, the, you, they would just put you right up in Afghanistan in the military or they kill you. I mean, it's just straight up. You have no choice. Uh, so you just went and crossed your feet and they drink wine. All of the cyclists, they thought if they drink wet red wine, it would prevent them from getting radiation poisoning. So talks about that in the interview. The coaches are drinking red wine too. So um, bacon to Robert, I'm still partial to front wheel drive on long distance runs for efficiency reason. So um, Robert, anybody ever in New York and need automotive help? Look me up. I'm sure most of you in other states probably know. So, Cool. Um, I wish, yeah. I wish you were like, hey, anybody here in Wisconsin? I'd be like, whoa. So that's, I mean, to know somebody with who is um, good ethics, right? And then also has the talent to, and couple with that. Oh my God, it is so important. So, wow. I bet, uh, I bet, yeah, your, your neighbors and, and the people, you know, that work with your router, I bet they're very thankful that you're there. Um, we had radiation. This is Vanessa falling on the Arctic after Chernobyl. People forget about this. So I, I brought up the headlines from like my hometown newspaper and then like the Milwaukee Journal and the Duluth newspaper, uh, Duluth Superior. And they were picking up radiation, right, in those areas. And I remember, so I talked about this before, but I lived a block away from the baseball field in my town. Little town, only baseball field there was. And it was Little League. And we were all called up for a meeting. So we're sitting there in the bleachers and the dad who's running the little league says, yeah, there's, there's radiation apparently, which is falling on the field. And um, I guess, I don't know if, the, if it rains or whatever, we might have to cancel games. And they had one Geiger counter, one radio read. And it was from the high school, like from the science. And so they were supposed to go and do the sweep. And it would always like click no matter what, like there's always you know, radi radioactive particles coming through the air. Um, but, uh, you know, from outer space and things like that. But, like, I, I remember we're like, what? And then I also remember thinking, like, I live a block away from that. <laughs> like, so what's in my yard? Like, what's, what is the deal here? And, you know, then it it just kind of went away. But it didn't have, like, the media hype take. God, could you imagine, like, how the media would take that and run with it today? I mean, it would be, you know, that everybody would have. And I actually... Yeah, I, I maybe or maybe they would just quiet that down. So, um, Sastro Nikolai is a good dude. Yeah, Nikolai is. And when I interviewed Nikolai, that was over. I have a footnote or an endnote in the book, like over four months and multiple interviews, you know, or different, completely different time zones. And so, you know, we worked extensively. And then, um, so the chapter that's an interesting chapter because you can definitely sense Nikolai and kind of like the strong, you know, Soviet um, narrative coming through in that interview. Um, it's really, it's really intriguing. And, uh, and, and yeah, so like people who have read the book, the reviewers and stuff has a powerful chapter. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it was, I mean, and we, we had to consolidate that down. Um, but it's, it's still, I think it's the biggest chat. It's the biggest interview in the book. Maybe it goes over like seven, eight pages. It's really good. Uh, Vanessa's saying the radiation showed up under three days. So yeah, it's crazy. 
this crazy stuff. Um, so, hey, look at this here, Bacon. Here's the episode of the Soviet Cyclist. So well, that's cool. Yeah, that one's out there in audio too if you want to uh, download leveled audio with, with Nikolai. Nikolai lives in Australia. So like he had been sharing over the last few months of all of the the lockdowns and the restrictions they've been under. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's really intense. So, whoa. Um, use the counter in basements here in Northeast. So um, I was a gearhead back in the day. This is SAS, but for some time now, I'm just pragmatic when it comes to cars. Yeah, I was never a gearhead, but I used to like work on my own car. Um, and I just don't do that anymore. Um, Swampy, get back in bed before the boogeyman gets. Oh my God! There, there's Walter. Swampy got out of uh, got out of bed. He's, he's. I've started to drink this um, chilled coffee. I never did it until like last month. I just saw, I saw it on the shelf, and I'm like, I like coffee, but I don't. I don't know if I would like chilled coffee. So it's okay. Like it's one of those things I think I'll acquire a taste for, but I think it still has like the same amount of caffeine and so i'm trying to like work that in uh but i do live not far from a gas station so like on my face validity fridays i always stop there for i shouldn't say this but donuts <laughs> and and coffee and i that's my breakfast uh, before face validity fridays so it's a sugar and caffeine to like zap me up uh wankel engines horsepower to displacement um burning oil after a thousand or hundred thousand miles or so so yeah, I remember those um, of the rotary engines, and so um, so my stuff, guys, is over at safetyphd.com, which is right there. Um, uh, let's see, and uh, so yeah, safetyphd.com, and also my two PPS presentations. Hey, thanks, Saltude. Um, my two PBS presentations in 2013, 2019, either there, or you just go on the internet and type in my name plus PBS, <laughs> pretty easy to find. And, um, and then obviously school of Airs. It's a great book. I mean, if you're like, have a last minute gift, you're like, Hey, you got a relative and they've got like, you know, a couple of kids in school. It's like here, here's school of Airs, And I know the author of this book. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, um, Danny Woodburn, who has played Mickey Abbott on Seinfeld. Oh, Danny Woodburn right there is uh, wrote the forward for the book. So, which is cool. It's really, yeah, really outstanding uh, way to launch into the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, actually, I know, I know someone just in the last uh, few days here sent me an email and said, Hey, I just ordered the book for my yeah, sister-in-law who's a teacher and they've got a couple kids here. So they do a lot of crazy safety stuff in their district. So, wanted to get this to him. I'm like, yeah. And I mean, and there are a lot of, um, you know, really kind of punchy stories in here. Really it's well done. Like it's, it's respectful, but it's also, um, you know, has an edge to it. So you're, you're going to be like, Whoa, wow. Like that's maybe not what I expected, but it's, it's right on. So, and if you, if you, um, have read the book, right, please leave a review on Amazon. It has 44 reviews and it's been at 44 reviews for a long time. And I would love for it to be at 50 reviews by the time philosophy of information comes out. Amazon reviews are big. 
because when people, yeah, they, right? Once again, the whole thing with algorithms, once you get into the 40s, it's kind of a marker, 50s something, and, you know, eventually. But, um, but I think the book, um, I know people like that own it, right? And they've read it and, and haven't left reviews yet. So I'm just like, come on, um, you know, please. I mean, it doesn't have to be more than a couple sentences if you've, you've read it and uh, to let people know. Um, so Vanessa wrote, whoa, anyone look up the liquid piston engine? The company's in Bloom, Bloomfield or Bloomfield. No, this is kind of weird too. Like how everything seems to be like really pushed to electric fast, like all the TV commercials and, um, you know, like I have a friend who's building a house and his how he doesn't have an electric vehicle, but when they built the house, it's, they put the electric charging stations in the garage or, you know, wired it up. So like there would be the station because they're just like, it'll be here. So I'm just like, it seems to be moving. I know at a forced pace, I guess, as I'm looking and trying to figure where's all this electricity generation going to come from and some of these other things, but it, it, it's kind of like these transitions from just in time manufacturing to 3d printing are kind of happening really fast and, but maybe I guess they've always happened fast. I'm just, it's maybe uncomfortable because I'm just used to the way that things are, which is kind of that Taurus, right? It's the philosophy of information. You get, once you get really comfortable in things, you start to resist change. Um, so very cool. All right. So, yeah, um, please, uh, comments below, uh, thumbs up. Um, this Monday night shows a week from today is uh, SAST one too many. And I will have, you know, that up soon in the next couple of days. So you can just like ping it as a reminder. Um, and Friday, join me at nine o'clock in the morning. I will have my donuts and my coffee. And, and last Friday, the the gas station I go to, like the they were out of, the coffee I usually get and like everything was drained down. So I had to like mix together like seven different coffees to fill up the 24 ounce cup. It was just, it was awful. And I had to even put decaf in. Um, I was almost going to say like, can this just be free? Because like none of the stuff over there is full. And this is just this weird concoction. <laughs> and I'm sure they probably would have said yes, but I was just hoping it would taste better than it did. So yeah, face validity Friday. So what face validity Friday is, and now, you know, we're about a month into it. Um, phase validity is, is a core concept of my book, The Velocity of Information. Phase validity in terms, you know, if, if you're explaining it to somebody, it's saying, hey, um, if you, you're out in a snowstorm and you have a thermometer that says 88 degrees, you know, and you're shivering and the snow's falling, you know either that thermometer's broken, it's what is measuring that phase validity isn't right, or like your senses are obscured. One of those two things is happening. So phase validity is when whatever is authentically happening around you, what you're observing, what you're experiencing, isn't matching what measurements are, what the media is telling you, or these type of things. Or so you can see it in headlines, or you know, like a uh, phase validity would be a headline that says, you know, um, this uh, Thanksgiving meal um, costs the same as like last year's Thanksgiving meal. You're like whoa, like face validity. Like I, here's my receipt. I went to the grocery store and like, this stuff is more expensive. It's, I know that's not true. Or travel this year will cost less. And you're like, well, <laughs> that's weird. Cause gas is almost $4 a gallon. And I know it was, you know, so you're like, that doesn't make sense on face validity. 
And face validity, we all detect. We all have that face validity detector, and we just kind of override it over the years. We just get we we default to listening to what other people say as the quote unquote experts or the sources. You know, that's that whole media coverage of sixty seconds and going with it. So the. What we do on Face Validity Fridays and people, you know, send me some articles and you can you can do that too or post down below and say, hey, like, Dad, Doc, you know, maybe consider us for Face Validity, article, uh, Face Validity Friday. Here's an article. Um, and then we go through, you know, four to five articles and we analyze them and we say, does this match Face Validity? Um, sometimes they do and other times they don't. And again, the more you do that and you just expect that from yourself and you demonstrate that for other people, they pick up on that. They will look at you and the way that you do things, and and it will um, they'll change their their habits, and you really get to be known as a truth broker with face validity, or like just to remember, you know, ask that question: Does this make sense? Like, does this? Um, and and it, oftentimes, other people are thinking the same thing, but they're just not going to you know be out there and and you know make <laughs> they're just not going to rock the boat, right? But if you're just like, does this really make sense? Like. I was talking about um, when I was on John Crump Live, I said there was a, a school district during the pandemic and they were doing fire drills, but they were doing socially distanced fire drills. So students would line up, or the, I don't know if they line up, but the students would be in classroom and then the teacher, when there was a fire drill, the teacher would say, okay, go. And then the teacher would go 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, then go, next student would go. So students would always be spaced apart as they left the building. So it's face validity. It's like, does that make sense, right? Okay, I understand the whole social distance stuff, but you got to fire in a building. You got to get people out. That's your priority. It's not that everybody gets out in eight minutes. It's everybody gets out fast. And um, so this whole thing of yeah, the socially distanced fire drills uh, was out there for a little bit until people, from a face validity standpoint, kind of just like, well, this doesn't make sense. This is crazy. <laughs> like, why in the world would you do this? Well, okay. So. Um, and Andrew, it's not expensive. It's a sign of a thriving economy. Yeah. Yikes. Um, and property taxes arrive, I think, in two weeks here. So I've been checking online to try to get the sticker shock of what that'll be. Um, got the pull up looks interesting just from the search results. So uh, John Kerb Live. Yep. Yeah, John. So I was on his show and with uh, Flying uh, Rich uh, today. So it was, a, it was a great show. Um, I've been following them for quite some time. They're only about 10 miles from me. Whoa. Go. Uh, CRS Firearms is uh, 30 minutes up the road from me. So for those of you who follow CRS Firearms, so it's always kind of interesting when you find other people in your in your area. When I was uh, last year when they had the, um, the riots uh, happening in Madison, Wisconsin, um, a lot of people are contacting me and they were like, are you okay? And... Um, I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's like 40 miles away from me. I'm like, okay, here. Uh, but yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, everybody, I am uh, going to call it a night here on the, uh, the safety dock. And uh, this is episode 160. Um, so again, safetyphd.com, exercise face validity. Use I observed when you're talking with people. And to echo what uh, Dark says at the end of his uh, shows, which is spot on. I mean, uh, demonstrate kindness to people. Uh, one, you don't know kind of what their day or what their life 
has has been when you interface with them. Um, a couple kind words, a smile, offering to I don't know hold the door, pick up some cat litter, something like that uh, can can have a pretty meaningful impact. Um, I was talking to a friend who was telling me about their their son who was in college and worked at a um, like a I don't know fast food place or whatever. And he said it, his son just was talking about these, how angry people were. Like you drive throughs, throwing stuff up at windows and swearing and cursing. And, you know, he just was, uh, I mean, this appalling behavior. And, uh, and just how people, you know, people kind of seemed to lose their minds. But he also talked about, he said, you know, the people that I remember, like, you know, on a shift or something, is someone who just says, you know, thank you. Or somebody who, you know, has a, a fun little quip or something like that. And, uh, you know, so those are the things too. Like you never know if you can interact with people, um, just, you know, be nice to people. <laughs> so it's, whoa, it's just, I'd uh, be nice. Just as I smack this microphone, this microphone's like, Oh my God, what's going on here? So Vanessa said four firearm makers are within 25 miles of me. So, whoa. Um, so this is from Saston. This is a good way. Have a good evening. Thanks all. I know the doc really appreciate it. I do. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, thanks. I, like I said, I had taken some time off from the show as I was writing the book. And then um, as I as I started things up again, um, it, it's been really great to have people uh, come back in and 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 to bring this momentum back. And and I, I look forward to it. Like I really enjoy putting together shows and the blog post and getting this this bigger body of work. And and uh, and I love the chat. Thank you everybody for participating. And and every. Every once in a while, someone contacts me and they say, hey, like I found this specific, you know, show or whatever, and I'm using this in the paper I'm doing or some presentation or whatever and how they incorporate things. And, and you know, some people like follow everything. You know, there are a couple of school safety people who, you know, listen to every every show out there. And I'm like, oh, hey, thanks for doing that. Um, so let's look. Uh, you never know when you're going to see them again. Right. Um have a good evening. Thanks, uh, thanks, Robert. Thanks for being over here. And uh, Bacon, thanks, buddy. Up, uh, oh. <laughs> there was an episode, yeah, when the Madison stuff, that was, uh, uh, we had a few people on, including Nick Shulander, who we thought was, uh, his door was kicked down and at night, but it was okay. That was a wild episode, yeah. I, we, the police scanners and on and things were going. That was a time very uh, uncertain. Um. Hey, thank you for the show. Thanks, Vanessa. It's very informative. Thank you. And hope you return a week when we have um, Sast one too many on next week. Sleep tight, everybody. All right. And uh, Vanessa. All right. So I, let me do the, the going out um, thing here. So um, I'm still learning this, but all right. I'm going to do this, and then we'll be done when this this is. It's 58 seconds, but this is how I do the intro. So we'll do the outro like this. And here we go. Thank you, everybody. Uh, very sincerely mean that. Thank you.
Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will... This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.